Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. We take all things film to the full effect. My name's Ed. With me is my cinematic life mate and co-host, Sean. Good morning, Film Effect. And if you're a fellow cinephile like us, which is a casual fan of movies, then you've come to the right place. We're a weekly podcast that do deep dives and touch lives of each episode, focusing on a particular film each week in an effort to give it the full film effect treatment. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, I want to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms. There, you can also access everything Film Effect-related, including our merch store, where you can find everything from Diddly I Joe to a damned if I know, all in <laughs> one place. All right, Sean, tell the listeners where they can find us on Facebook and Instagram. The Film Effect Podcast. And how about that Twitter handle, which is definitely the most active option for everything Film Effect related. That's going to be Film Effect Pod. And if you're all about supporting your Bings, your Yahoos, and your Gmails, <laughs> which are electronic mailing address without having to ask Jeeves? Uh, that's going to be the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. They could, you forgot to throw Firefox in there. My preferred browser in the 90s. Firefox, that's right. Yeah. Goody, buddy, goody. <laughs> It's, I, I loved it because of that stumble button. That thing was fun, man. You just fart around all day at work, and we had to, we were dead at the at the Virage store. I just click stumble and find goofy websites all day. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Now you bring it up, it's been so long. Holy yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. That was that was the best thing. Like me, me, and when I ran that Perry Hall Virage store, and it would be like hours in between customers. I would literally stumble upon goofy sites and shit. <laughs> One point, I got to a site that said, "You reach the end of the internet. Turn around and go home." <laughs> One more thing, guys. Five star ratings and reviews also helps us get out there, gets us uh, pushed higher into the algorithm. So uh, if you can do that, that would be much obliged. All right. So, um, one thing, real quick, I want to acknowledge. I was listening to the uh, Point Break episode the other day, and I made an error in the episode. I kind of want to correct myself right here. Uh, we were talking about the restaurant that uh, they went to eat, and I said it was the same one that. Uh, Paul Walker went to uh, oh the little burger thing. Go to see Mia in the Fast and the Furious joint. Yeah. While there is a restaurant in the Fast and Furious that's this same exact one from Point Break, it wasn't that one that uh, Walker goes to. It's actually later in the film, Walker and uh, Toretto they go to a, a joint by the beach, and that's the place they go to. It's not the same one that Walker goes to that I mentioned in the episode. It's a different one, but still. The restaurants in the film, guys. So, you know. But I heard it and I was like, oh shit. Did, did you ever figure out if it was the same one from True Romance with Steve's double chili cheeseburger? I looked into it actually. I couldn't find anything on that. Yeah. I got I got a different location, but it looks strikingly identical. So it's it's, just, it's got that, that whole Southern California lean to, you know, 
It's like a roadside diner by the beach. Yeah, exactly. A little beach stand. Mm-hmm. Like lean to um, a, a sandwich truck, if you will. Right. So, uh, yesterday, there's thunderstorms, dude. I thought I saw Dorothy on my drive home. I'm telling you, man. Well, I, I'm surprised. I'm, I, I got... We made out as as good as we did. You know where I'm at down here. I'm right next to Marina. And there was flash floods everywhere. You know, I was yeah. mainly worried about you know losing power because we're so rural and remote back here that you know anytime we get a bad storm like that, I just go into panic mode. Um, so, like, I, we had power surges a couple times. Air conditioners flipped. At one point, I was I was gaming. And it zapped out for a second. I watched my TV like literally go like all these weird rainbow lines and stuff on it. And actually, my PlayStation stuff shut down, booted right back up. But the PlayStation wouldn't turn on right away. And I started getting a little pat. Yeah, I got I got really really scared. Thank God, um, I have everything run through a surge suppressor, and that's all it was. I just you know flipped the switch on the surge because the TV came back on. But PlayStation wouldn't even beep or turn blue. Flip that switch. But yeah, like I'm surprised my area where we're at didn't have any downed trees or major, major flooding. You know, I think you had probably just made it out of here when when you had come and dropped everything off right before it came. I was going to say I left your house dropping off crazy hard and I was about five minutes up the road back heading back home and that's when it just came and it came down like a brahma bull it would not stop pouring yeah it's it like the, honestly the, the reason i even woke up because you called me i was like dead out because i've been up i've been up way until wee hours in the morning um what what finally got me out of bed was i heard my uh bedroom air conditioner beep like it flipped off and then mm-hmm. that's when I noticed it was really dark outside and it was like constant thunder, like literally rolling thunder. It was like I heard thunder like as a constant low roar for almost two hours, you know, and essentially I got a bed, and, you know, get myself together. And I've literally got BGE's outage map on a, you know, automatic refresh on my phone. Waiting never for, for me to lose, for me to lose, you know, juice back mm-hmm. But I was really surprised that, you know, I, I was like maybe three surges, one of which happened while I was gaming. Other than that, they all happened, you know, before I really turned anything on. But I was bouncing between that and the Weather Channel app. And I'm sitting there with my PlayStation controller and pausing the game. And I'm like, okay, Weather Channel says I got only got 45 minutes left. Come on, I'm praying to my stepfather. Like, please let me lose power. It's going to get hot. I'm going to get bored, you know. So, yeah, man, um, I had some friends who, you know, tree came down in a pool, you know, and there was flash floods less than a mile or two. Yeah, from it, was, it was, yeah, it was bad around. The whole area was pretty bad. I mean, it flooded the, the, the main road up by you, um, that intersection at 40, uh, 40 and um, Rossville was completely submerged. That's what I saw. And, and you know, I, I was literally surprised because, you know, I walk out my front door and there's Marina right there. I kept going out to make sure, you know, to, to look at everything. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're okay. Yeah, yeah, we pulled through. So I told you uh, last night I was, did that uh, guest spot on uh, Backwood Cinema. And oh, that was yesterday. Yeah, we talked about, you know, how it was going to be Project X and whatnot. So funny story about that. So uh, dude sends me uh, the itinerary a couple of hours before we recorded. We, we were scheduled to record around 5 o'clock. 
Um, had a great time, by the way. Can't wait for the episode to air. It's supposed to drop, I believe, this coming Saturday. So look out for that Backbook Cinema podcast. Um, so he sends me the uh, itinerary and whatnot, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then I see when he gets into the actual like cast and crew for Project X, and first name I see is Matthew Broderick. And I'm like, oh, my God. He totally is talking about the 80s one. I'm thinking it was the 2012 party one. Oh, Jesus so Christ. I, you, you, I messaged you him right away. Movie? I messaged him right away. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. And like, he's apologizing because he forgot to put the date, the, I mean, the year down and stuff. So it was, you know, it was just a, a mutual in space, mistake. Right? I guess I'd never seen the movie. So I was oh. like, I, I can't do it. Sorry, send me another list. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try again next week. I swear to God, we'll make it happen this time. Because the first time we were supposed to do Lethal Weapon, and he forgot about that and did it without me. Now we're talking about Project X, and I got the damn movie mixed up. So, <laughs> to my surprise, he made it work with only like a couple hours, maybe three at the most. He was just like, not a problem. Let me rework it, watch this movie with my son, and we'll do it anyway. So, on the fly, he watched this movie never seen it before was able to rework the itinerary and we only started half hour later than we were supposed to so number one props to them for getting that shit done because i just would have been like we'll do it another time that sucks but you know because i just on the fly thinking like that i don't know that's just not how i work but he's able to do it he still had me on there we were able to do the episode it was a good time uh we talked for about an hour and a half and yeah i'll you know, all mistakes aside, we went through with just that minor hitch. Um, and it ended up being, like I said, a great episode, I feel. Can't wait to hear the uh, final edit. Um, so, yeah. Uh, other than that, um, many thanks to everyone who listened to our Point Break episode last week. Uh, we definitely killed it as far as first aid numbers go. I had never seen numbers go that high <laughs> for a first time for a first day uh episode so to my surprise releasing it midweek i don't know it, it paid off and uh, thank you to everyone sincerely who listened who downloaded it even if you downloaded yeah. it and haven't listened to it yet it still counts and uh sean and i just many many thanks to everyone yeah, definitely. Who, uh, muchos gracias guys yes um and also, I know this isn't technically movie-related, but uh, I just kind of wanted to throw out there, rest in peace, Bismarck Key. Yeah. Uh, yeah. sucks. It sucks. It just sucks. I was fortunate enough to see him live once. So. Not I, unfortunately. Even though yeah, he came to cool. the Fillmore like every other month, it felt like he was yeah, there he was, doing he, an he, 80s he, thing. He was, he was in town a lot. Now, I went to... Um, Actually, it's Merriweather. It was just like Monsters of Hip Hop tour, and it was literally Bismarcky, um, Dougie Fresh, nice uh, Sugar Hill Gang, and Run DMC closed it out. And I had this old school like '70s velour Adidas tracksuit with my Kangol shell toes, man. Got we, we, me and my girlfriend at the time got interviewed by some college, you know, hip hop TV station. We're talking, right. Christ, 95, I think. Yeah. So I got to see, I got to see uh, Bismarck. He mainly did, he, he did DJ more than 
you know, did anything. You know, I actually saw a friend of mine put up a picture yesterday. He has a custom set of Technique 1200 turntables made specifically for his 7-inch 45 records. So the platter's like smaller than a normal, you know, platter on these. Yeah, yeah, of course. Turntables, pretty cool. Now, granted, you can, you know, I've had Techniques for years. I've been DJing for 20-some years. You can make a 45 work on that. But he had them, you know, work it down to where he could he just use his singles. You know, mm -hmm. kind of neat. Yeah, and he was just the best at like making like those weird sounds with his yeah. voice and shit. You he's know, goofy like the, dude, he was a human beatbox. It was crazy. Yeah, he's a, he, he was. He was like the um, the Michael Winslow for rapping. Pretty much, man. Just he was. You read a lot of stuff. You know, obviously, I'm a huge BC Boys fan, and, and Mike D and Ad Rock talk about. You know, when they were all just get together and goof around and, and biz just come up with goofy shit. They would sit in that studio for like mm -hmm. four hours just winging it. And biz never missed a beat. A lot of the stuff with him, they just laid the tape and it turned, it pops up on the records. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of his, you know, his stuff, you know, the, the couple he guests on, obviously the Check Your Head album and some of the unreleased singles. He literally yeah. just freestyled that, like won it. Yeah. Right. That whole Benny and the Jets cover. There was exactly, there, yes, was exactly. That the, the, the when he covered Benny and the Jets with the BC Boys, there was no. He just like uh, somebody started playing it on the piano. He said, "Play Benny, play the intro to Benny and the Jets," and he just went for it. Yeah, you can tell it's a freestyle because I know exactly what you're talking about. I love listening to that. It's it's definitely something that was clearly brought up on the fly. Yeah, was, I remember I used to subscribe to their you know their their magazine would come out intermittently it wasn't like every month or anything and they only did like i think seven or eight episodes called grand royal magazine and mm -hmm. um or issues i should say and i want to say it was the second issue the one that had lee scratch perry uh on the cover like mocking up a wheaties box they always gave you like a a, a freebie for getting the mag Mm -hmm. One year, one one was a calendar. It looked like a hot rod calendar. One was an iron on BC Boys iron on. Well, the I want to say issue two or three of Grand Royal came with the little flexi disc. Remember the little the plastic records you used to get on the back of like a cereal box. I do. You know? Okay, so it came with the biz, the biz versus. Uh, it came it came with the um, the Benny and the Jets cover like on this little flexi disc. So I had to keep, and I used to work that into my sets and that was the only way I had a copy. I had to keep this thing in almost mint condition for years. Cause I must've dropped it in probably 15, 20 of my, of my beastie boys mixtapes over the course of 10 years back in the nineties. But it was neat. You got a free flexi disc of biz singing, um, Benny and the Jets. That's the first time I'd ever heard it too. Yeah. And, one last thing before we uh, kick into the show. I really, really, really now, times like this, wish you watched Succession because that season three trailer dropped the other day. Totally unexpected, and I fucking loved every second of it. Well, speaking of which, I think, remember we were talking before, how I had a hard time switching my login over to yours because I already had the apps on my devices. I'm pretty sure that we'd have to be on the phone together or you'd have to be here. Um, you just got to authorize my TV by signing in and enter whatever code that's on my TV. I meant to call you yesterday. I can do that from home. I know. All I you know, have to do is text me and say, hey, what's the code or whatever, I, or vice versa. Well, the code's in front of me. You just got to you just gotta go in with your with your email right. and authorize. I think, I don't know, because every time I try it, it brings up that code. Now, I don't know whether it's trying to you know authorize my email because I didn't even get to put yours in there yet. 
Um, so I, now that's the only thing I don't know how to do is because my subscription lapsed for the time being. Um, I need to change the login from mine to yours, but it keeps looking like it's trying to default to mine and not let me switch logins, which is kind of effed up because I want to cool. watch Succession. I want to watch that new Soderbergh movie. You know? well, 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 we'll definitely make it work, dude. Trust me, we'll yeah. make it work. So yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's get into the show. Some shout yeah. outs. Shout out to his family. All right, Backlog Cinema Podcast. Once again, thank you guys for having me on the show yesterday. Cannot wait for that episode to drop. Your next favorite movie for the nonstop support. Um, Josh, the host there, is actually going to be joining us for our upcoming Halloween H2O episode. So we still got a couple ones to go. And then when we get to H2O, he six. He specifically requested to be a part of that episode, so I said, "Sure, why not? The more, the merrier." Uh, best film ever. Thank you for being a friend. Spy Hards for the quality entertainment. Kids, what are we watching tonight? New film effect friends of the show. Uh, Thieves monthly movie loot. Also new friends hosted by friend of the podcast, Carlo, Paul and Griff for being Paul and Griff. And finally, shout out to film floggers for their non-stop, never-ending support. Currently charting in the U.S., Ireland, U.K., and Nigeria, and we have not one, not two, but three new regions this week. Shout-out to Kuwait, Germany, and Greece. All right. All right, so current events. I was actually prepared to talk about um, the, apparently there's been some chaos ensuing at the Cannes Film Festival, but before we went live, I clicked on a link that Joe Blow just posted that I just could not turn away from. And it's details of the Bur- of the Bill Murray Lucy Liu fight on the set of Charlie's Angels. Did you read this shit? Um, I, yeah. Well, the um, I actually I actually read the article earlier in the week, and it was um, it was it was a series of tweets from somebody on a production, and we had always heard about you know he looked at her, he's like, I don't even know what you're doing here, yada yada yada. And the story goes that like Bill just decided to punch up a scene and and added new dialogue and okay, stuff and left, yeah. and left the page in everybody's trailer. Then he shows up the set and they're like, uh, "Did you get new pages in your trailer?" He goes, "No, I put new pages in everybody else's trailer." You know, so everybody's a little pissed off. And it, that's when he looked at Lucy Lewis. He's like, "You know, we're doing you a favor here. You, this is big league now. I gave you more lines." And she just called him a cocksucker and stormed off set. So yeah, it got in a little bit more detail. But I had read that earlier in the week. Okay, yeah, Joe, I guess Joe Bosley did a party, and it's my first time picking up on it. I mean, I I knew that this was being talked about in like minor details, but I guess like this is the big detail that came but, out that I just yeah, didn't you finally see. got the actual story from from a fly on the wall. The guy was like a production assistant or whatever, and he, apparently he had worked on another movie with Bill Murray and said, "Yeah, the guy could be an asshole, but he was always cool with me." Um, I also read something last night. Apparently. Spike Lee dropped the winner of Palm Dior like in the middle of an interview. So that was what I was originally going to talk about. So let's just get into that since we just talked about this. Charlie and the movie sounds Um, weird anyway. Yeah. um, Damn, Spike. What the hell, dude? He he literally came out and announced the the Palm Dior. Well, somebody somebody had asked him a question and he mistook it for 
like so i don't know i like i, I was and I, I read the thing kind of on the fly last night after uh watching crazy art before i went to bed and yeah my understanding was like he was he was doing like like an interview session with or like a press conference i guess and the way the the, the journalist asked him the question he mistook it for you know who won and he just dropped the the palm door winner and uh, i think somebody else that was that was on the on the panel like tried to stop him like waver arms or somebody like sarah paulson or somebody like that um but then the, the the premise of this movie sounds strange. Well, it's the follow up to that movie Raw that came out a few years ago. Uh, that cannibal, it was a cannibal movie that was all over the place, like in the genre community. Wasn't that, wasn't, wasn't that like a Spanish film? No, I've never, I've never seen it, so I can't. Yeah, neither, on I, I know of it now, but I don't know why I keep thinking it was a foreign film. It's like the guys raising his two kids, or like remotely in there, they're cannibals or something. I mean, the filmmaker is only the second female to win the award in history. The last person, the last female who won it was uh, back in '93 for the uh, 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 Jane Campion, uh, Campion, Campion yeah. for um, the piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's like something like, and then like some female serial killer gets impregnated by a car. Yeah, I didn't read the uh, synopsis I, I on this film. So that's yeah, it's, it's a very strange premise. You know, nothing I'm gonna yeah. nothing I'm gonna pay for, but it definitely has got me intrigued to sit down for a couple hours once I finally can. Well, since it won the the, the, the biggest award there, I'm sure we're gonna be hearing lots more about it uh, as we head into the fall. So yeah, it's just but like I said, when I read that premise, such an obscure premise to get the call of your, but hey, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll just you know just have to sit back and wait. That's all. <laughs> all right. Uh, Weekly recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? Sean, you want to kick off this week? You got something for us? Yeah, I do. I got a little obscure one, man. Um, Wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Mandy and I came across this late the other night. And a surprisingly really good film I'd never heard of, released in 1981. Um, It looks and feels like a TV movie, but apparently it was a theatrical release movie called split image okay um so michael o'keefe you know danny noonan from caddyshack mm-hmm. right he's your main character obviously he's you know i guess like high school college age in this film um and brian denny he plays his dad all right karen allen is the main love interest okay the premise is and this is you know again made in 81 set in the present time and it's about him getting wrapped up in this new wave cult. And it's not quite like a Scientology or, 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 or you know, people's church type cult. It's more almost like that, that, that Nexium cult, the kind of Keith Raniere dude. Everybody's getting all the sex trafficking charges out of Hollywood. It's kind of like that type of thing. The cult leader is played by Peter Fonda. Okay. And, the whole hook of the film is to get him out of there. They, they, they hired James Woods's character who specializes in kidnapping and like de brainwashing these kids. It's, it's just, it's, it's wild. <laughs> it's weird, man. Definitely a product of its time. And with everybody involved, I was surprised I never heard of it. it just came across an old prime. I'm like, what is this shit? I read the synopsis, looked at the cast list, and Mandy's like, that's a go. Come on, let's play it now. Yeah, 
it sounds pretty damn bonkers. It's yeah, but it's it's done well, and like I said, it it, it feels just I don't know the way it plays on the screen. I kind of felt like it was a not an ABC after school special, but it felt like a made for TV movie, you know, to kind of educate you know the parents and the kids on what's going on in current society with these new hippies and stuff. But yeah, Fonda as the leader of this new wave cult, and Karen Allen is the one that kind of recruits Danny. I mean, uh, Michael O'Keefe into it. You know, Danny's a concerned dad, and then James Woods playing, you know, porn stash, smarmy James Woods as usual. Yeah, split image, man. I think the guy that directed First Blood did it. Um, but yeah, you guys get a chance. It's on Prime Video right now. Seek it out. It's a weird little, weird little flick. I'll check it out myself. Yeah. Uh, so the film I'm bringing to the table this week is actually pretty goddamn new. It's a Netflix movie. Y'all might have heard about it. It's a film called Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah, you know, I've never watched it. Dude, let me tell you something. This movie is John Wick meets Crank, and I am there for every second of this shit. Now, hear me out, because personally, I think the whole unique action style, like John Wick and and all that shit, like, I, I think it's done the death now there's too many movies with over-the-top action stuff this is no different but this has um certain scenes certain uh choreographed moments uh that i thought were different and impactful and something that i was definitely not expecting uh there's there was a couple of uh moments one that involves a very fucking cool bowling alley that I just didn't see coming, and I think it's pretty unique and d- done differently. Um, it's a like a mother-daughter movies. hit squad or something, right? Yeah, but I think I feel like the uh, the marketing plays that up a little too much. It's not really okay, see, that's, that's not the focus what I was turned of the off movie. About. Like I don't know, if, you know, it, it, you know what, it, you know, it felt too from what from what I gleaned off of it. Um, it felt like I, I'd be going in and getting disappointed like I was with Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. So I didn't want to put myself through that again. No, it's funny. It's it's funny because, you know, Karen Gillian, she kind of gets herself into like her own mess. So it's like that becomes the whole big plot, the conflict of the film. It's right. something that she kind of does inadvertently on her own. <laughs> that could have been avoided. But still, yeah. um, it's different. Um yeah, it's a lot of that over-the-top action, but um, it's done in its own unique way that um, I found interesting that definitely didn't turn me away. I, I found myself uh, pretty much entertained for the entire 90-minute duration. And uh, yeah, it's it's new. It's on Netflix. Uh, get with it, guys. It's it's a blast. Gunpowder Milkshake. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a run since you recommend it. I mean, I know it was getting good reviews but again it's the the premise didn't seem super intriguing to me and then i just felt like it was going to come off like sucker punch like a swing and a miss son i've played sick drunk divorced and on the run run. bad blake hasn't missed a goddamn show in his whole fucking life ladies and gentlemen this is crazy heart mr blake i'm gene craddock from the sun scene Tape recorder, okay? Go ahead and have fun. What's your real name? I'm Bad Blake. My tombstone will have my real name on it. Until then, I'm just gonna 
stay bad. Your heart's on the loose. You rode them sevens with nothing to lose. Where'd all those songs come from? Life, unfortunately. For the weird I'm 57 years old. I'm broke. Why don't you sit down and write some songs, huh? Keep talking. Hold on your shots. I keep feeling obliged to apologize for being less than you probably imagined me to be. Somehow this don't feel like home anymore. We ought to go out and find some trouble to get into. Yeah, big trouble. And this ain't no place for the weary kind. I knew what the risks were with you, and I took them. This ain't no place. It's one hell of a song. This is gonna be your best year in the last seven. Never too late, son. Never too late. Pick up your crazy heart and give it one more try. All right, so based on the 1987 novel of the same name by Thomas Cobb, the film centers on the down-and-out country music singer-songwriter played by Jeff Bridges, who tries to turn his life around after beginning a relationship with a young journalist played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. First-time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so if i'm not up to uh, um i think I no, we, we can answer this together because we watched this the, for the first time together at theopolis with the uh the screener that i downloaded that's off. right that's right i knew i knew it was home video but i couldn't remember if it was if it was you know part of your treasure chest or we it was you know, Rented it or what? But I do remember. I do remember us watching it together. I didn't realize how old it was. What's you said? Two thousand nine, right? Yeah, twelve years yeah. ago. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long ago. I because mean, it makes sense. I, I look back on it because I got the, the the awards screener, and that's how we watched it. We watched this right. when it was still in theaters. That's right. That's right. We did. We did. Now, was this? If I'm not mistaken, this was they, they didn't decide to do theatrical release till like mid production. It was made for country music television. Went into production. Yeah, yeah. It went into production as a CMT movie. And it was just like coming out so well that everybody, Scott Cooper, and they, I mean, like, and surprisingly enough, everybody involved agreed to do a TV movie. You got Robert Duvall, you got Bridges, you got Gyllenhaal. Um, I think they were, it was either during production or when they started putting the film together, like this could qualify for a theatrical release and not just go straight to CMT. I think, and I, I respectfully think you're, confusing that with something else i've never so, read that and i even because the the notes and stuff that i got the, that i pulled for this episode based off this movie's production kind of contradicts that really because what, what am i thinking of that i swear i thought it was this movie there was a movie there was a movie that came, there was a, hang on i think you're mistaken for there was a film that came out like a month or two after this or it might have been the same month called country strong 
with no, Gwyneth no, Paltrow been, uh, and Garrett Hunt. Hun, I, I, I know that. Yeah, I know that film. Um, never bothered watching. It. I don't think I ever will. But I, I don't know. Okay, I, I could be wrong, but I swear I thought I'd read that when this when this film was making the rounds. But again, you're asking me remember shit twelve years ago. I can't remember what I did twelve days ago. <laughs> yeah, because this um, Bridges, for example, like didn't even. Well, that's, that, that, that's I, I got something to say for that. I, there's a reason why we'll get to it when we get to it. So, but yeah, we saw this together for the first time. Yeah. Um, I remember us still sitting there in the Opolis watching the screener, and I, I've I've loved this movie so much since that viewing. Like, oh, I so? just, this yeah, was, this was a movie that I just loved right away. Yeah. As soon as it ended, I was like, God damn, that was a good fucking movie. Yeah, I was I, I, I was weeping. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah, and it's it is a heavy ending. It's a, it's a heavy, but not in a sad way. No, no, no. It's it's heartwarming. Yeah, truly, so it's it definitely it definitely. I mean, it, it, you know, I want to say it's a feel good story, but it's definitely a great character arc of you know self reflection, redemption, and you know, introspection. Yeah, and we'll, right. we'll we'll get into that when we. Yeah, it's a story time. Tell me a story. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. And it's about... We're just talking about the the upbringing of this movie, the process, uh, the, how it came to be. Uh, so the process of creating a film adaptation, because remember, this was based off a book from 87 that I just Yeah, made, I didn't realize, you know, up. for whatever reason, I didn't know that until I saw that last night. I don't know why I never paid attention to credits before. I did not know that it was an original. I mean, I, I thought it was an original story, but I'm, I would like to read the book. So... Uh, from what I gather, the book's a little bit darker because the ending is a lot different. So really? the, the the film adaptation uh, took many years because the concept, um, yeah, because the concept was optioned but was never produced into an actual adaptation until director Scott Cooper produced the film. Right. Cobb assumed that the film would use a more upbeat ending because the Hollywood film industry often prefers things that are generally positive. According to Cobb, the author of the book. He had nothing to do with the making of the film. The shooting of a sequence depicting the novel's ending in which Bad falls off the wagon and dies of a heart attack occurred. So they fought, they they shot this ending. He dies in the yeah, original I, ending. I, I had a feeling it would that in the book it would have kind of pulled a clockwork orange and out of the extra chapter where you know he reverts. <laughs> you know. So um, uh, so that's that's what happens is he does clean himself up and starts getting a little successful with Tommy Sweet and then slips and his demons get the best of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So Cooper wanted to use it as the ending, but he did not get final authority to do so. The sequence right. of uh, so a sequence of Bad Blake visiting his son in Los Angeles was also cut from the final film. Huh. Uh, those those Bridget, moments probably would have hit hard too, man. Christ, I'd have been sobbing <laughs> if they, they went through. Yeah, with that but I, th I think what we got though instead was, uh, no, I was fitting. I agree. So Bridges initially passed on the role when he was first offered it. He explained, <laughs> he explained, was he the first choice? 
Yeah, he explained to Vanity Fair that although he liked the script, he realized that this uh, he realized that the songs would make or break it. And at the end of the and at the time of the film, uh, at the time the film had no musical attachments. A year later, he talked with T Bone Burnett, uh-huh. who was who was approached to work on the film soundtrack. Together, they both agreed to work on the film, and Bridges joined the project. So it was now, actually they, it was T Bone Burnett who convinced pretty much. Yeah, that I, was I, I, I knew that. Set. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they were already friends because they have like mutual collaboration with the Coen Brothers in the past. Am I right about that? Well, not only that, but Jeff Bridges is also a, a, a musician on right, part time. Right, he's worked with Burnett in the past. I knew that, but I thought they're yeah. like what it was for some reason. I don't know why. I thought it was Coen Brothers kind of brought them together. That that would make sense. So yeah, it definitely does. But yeah, that's. I mean, he, my very first note when we get into this is love this original soundtrack, hands down, probably my favorite original soundtrack of the last several decades, man. And it pissed me off because I haven't I haven't looked for a while. But none of these songs are available when I go out to do karaoke because I can rock like four or five of them. He just sings in my key, man. And at the time, nobody would have heard of this shit. I would I, after we watched that, I went to karaoke several times and wanted to, wanted to do, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, or, or um, falling and flying. And nobody, they never licensed it for official karaoke so I could just show my chops, man. Hopefully that's I mean, changed by now. The soundtrack's on Spotify. I actually have it downloaded on my personal account. I listen to it from time to time. I always have, and I still to this day do. Yeah, and every after, every couple and, months I'll throw it on. Yeah, after we watch it, I ripped and I ripped it at uh at, at, at funny enough the Verizon store fucking around on the clock. I went up downloading it on their computers and ripped it on those either. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know whatever happened to it, but I had it for a while. <laughs> All right, so live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat. Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation Ruling the Nation. So, with the theme of this film being alcoholism, I figured let's pick our top five alcoholics in film and uh, throw a little list together, myself and yours. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. Uh, Five to one, what you got? Okay, so uh, first I want to say it was hard to narrow it down to five because I kept coming up with a lot of great ones. So I wanted to, uh, I had to weigh it out like naturally if I was going to say Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas or, you know, Robert Shaw, Jaws. And I even had um, a DDL for Daniel Plainview and There Will Be Blood on there for a while. But I decided to narrow it down um, and kind of weighted out based on just my personal preferences, what what, what I took away. So right. I got um, Mickey Rourke as Henry Chinaski in Barfly, which is basically it's he's playing Charles Bukowski, you know, the drunken, you know, poet laureate who Matt Dillon plays the same character in Factotum years later. Um, I got Bobcat Goldthwait and Shakes the Clown. <laughs> you ever seen that? Okay. Yeah, I have. 
Love, love shakes the cloud. Mandy refused to watch the movie. I went out and jumping for joy. When I got it for like eight bucks at work one day. I'm like, yeah, I got shakes the cloud on Blu-ray. Robin Williams cameo is the mind teacher. Um, I also have Billy Bob and Bad Santa. Okay. Um, because he played because he's legitimately drunk in a lot of those scenes anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was toying between uh both Robert Mitchum in uh El Dorado and Dean Martin in Rio Bravo, but I nixed them off the list and went with Richard E. Grant with in with Nail and I. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I love love that piece. A good little companion piece to uh, Finger Loathing in Las Vegas, who I had Raul Duke on there for a minute, too, as, as a Trump, but he's just so much more. And then uh, my number one, just because I discovered this film in the last year or so, finally gave it its day in court, must have watched it three or four times now, is Paul Newman in The Verdict. Okay, yeah, I saw that name on it. I was, I was doing some uh, examples of, of uh, famous... It was hard to come off of the top of my head to do this, so... I, I saw it. I, uh, no, I have never seen the verdict. But yeah, I, I did see that character thrown out there a lot. A little, yeah, he's, he's so. it's 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 really good movie, and that's like his crux is alcoholism, the fact that he's a slum and has been down and out attorney, ambulance chaser, and whatnot. The film just literally opens up with him, you know, having a beer for breakfast with a with a you know a hard boiled egg at the bar before he's got to head into court. Oh, you know, wow. so like the first shot is him drinking a mug of draft beer he, at seven in the morning playing pinball and you get into it and like Jack Warden's his, his, I guess, PI assistant, whatever. Um, so yeah, the verdict, the verdict is, is a good depiction of that too. And there's really not a lot of redemption for his character in there like he is for Bad Blake, but Newman, Newman plays it well as a functioning alcoholic with a very important task at hand. All right, so I got five to one. Number five, Jack Torrance from The Shining. Yeah, good one. Number, f- number four, Arthur Bach from Arthur. Huh. Number three, same as you. No, I'm sorry. My number three is Bad Blake, of course, Crazy Heart. Uh, number two is Willie, Bad Santa. And my number one, call it a cliche, don't give a fuck, Ben Sanderson leaving Las Vegas. I feel that it would be a crime not to have him on there because – all the movies I've seen, all the drunks I've seen on film, and believe me, I've seen plenty of drunks on screen. Yeah, I mean, this man literally died from drinking. He drunk him. He drank himself to death. So it was his intention. Yeah, you know. So, so. I, that's I, again, I didn't want to go the obvious route, throw that on there, but I mean, everybody's going to have to. You know, <laughs> going to come to that. I mean, Christ, the guy got the Academy Award for that. He he played drunk very well. The joy on his face in the beginning when he's just like at the liquor store, just oh yeah. Car. Uh-huh. You know, he's just so happy. Like, it opens up. and like, wow, this guy must be, you know, throwing a hell of a rager. Nope. That's all for him to take to Vegas and stash in his room. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about Crazy Heart, shall we? Yeah. Here we go. All right. So we got the Crazy Heart title card appearing. Starts the movie off. Set to Jeff Bridges' Hold On You as we get various landscape and, uh, and country shots of Blake driving to his next gig. Which is at the spare room bowling alley. <laughs> now let's just do it now. Talk about Jeff Bridges. Um, when you think of Jeff Bridges, what is the definitive role to you? I mean, definitive. I wouldn't say definitive, but I mean, and I, I'm saying I'm not asking if this is. I'm just saying what what is the definitive Jeff Bridges role to you? To me, mm-hmm. um, hard to narrow it down. I mean, I love this one. Obviously, he got the award 
that he so rightfully deserved. He's finally got, you know, an Oscar on the shelf. Um, naturally, pop culture is going to throw the dude out there, you know, Jeffrey Lebowski. I, I honestly thought that's what you were going to go with. Well, I mean, it's 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 just so, I don't want to say played out because, you know, we know I love that film. I got the fucking sweater for Christ's sake. It's got action figures. I got like four different collector sets. Saw that damn thing opening opening night was pissed. There was only six other people in the theater. You know, I was part of the ones who were talented from the beginning. It didn't catch legs on home video. Um, I thought I, I did think it was kind of like kind of funny how it opens with bridges at a bowling alley. <laughs> you know, like they was kind of throwing back to. It's you know, almost like it's almost too on the news. You know, right. <laughs> I would have, now that now that you say it's you know based on a book, maybe that was just coincidental and not like intentional. I don't know. I've never read the book. Um. But as far as iconic, I, I, I mean, um, definitive, I don't think there's really one because the guy's such a huge talent. And God love him, man. He's fighting that cancer with a with a vengeance right now. I hope he fucking pulls through. Yeah, definitely. It gets Best a positive wishes. Pro- yeah, yeah, it gets positive prognosis. I mean, he's, he's his, you know, no matter what, his spirit is strong, you know, given all the, 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 the his social media interaction with his fan base. Um, but uh, this one just really stands out because he he deserved that award. He plays like I couldn't see anybody else in this role. I just can't. Like if he would have if he'd have kept saying no, they should have just you know never even went into production. In my opinion, no, no he was definitely born to play. He was definitely born to play Bad Blake. Yeah, um, for real. Th- this was this this role could have might as well have been an autobiography. Right, and he's um, humble about it too. He's yeah about that shit. Um, because this movie did sort of kick off a wave of Western-esque roles for Bridges. He followed this up with True Grit, obviously playing Rose Coburn, made famous by John Wayne. Yeah. Uh, And then he kind of followed that up with R.I.P.D., which is a terrible, terrible movie by all accounts. He plays the same role in that movie as the Western Cowboy. Yeah, I've been, always been curious about that film. The premise is fucking goofy, and I realize it's based on a series of comics, you know. But like, given just the just the god awful word of mouth it's gotten, I don't know that I could ever give myself over to it. <laughs> but um, my answer, uh, I I kind of have to say it. I'm not just saying it for the sake of the podcast, but I definitely truly feel it's bad Blake. I, I feel like this was the role that made him who he is and who we remember him by now. And, you know, of course he's always going to have the roles from, you know, the seventies, eighties, nineties under his belt that he's going to be remembered for in, in various ways. You know, funny, funny enough, funny enough. We, you know, I did, this didn't even dawn on me till just now, but you want to talk about, you know, top drunks on film. Look at his performance in, in the first half of Eight Million Ways to Die. You raging fucking alcoholic. That scene of him like literally just fucking sweating it out on his face. That, that's a great film too. You know, where he's recovering alcoholic going after um, you know, former former cop going after uh going after Andy Garcia's, you know, pimp drug dealer. Um, but he plays a, he's only drunk for, for the you know act one, but he's a hell of a raging drunk. He plays it well. Have you ever seen that movie, Eight Million Ways to uh, Die? I have never even heard of it. No. No, it's late eighties. Um yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good film. Um, I actually watched it not too long ago with Mandy. Before we go on, I do owe you a very humble apology. Mm. Um I just came across something in my notes here that I was just scrolling through. <laughs> 
The film was produced for $7 million by Country Music Television. Sick. It was originally acquired by Paramount Advantage for a direct-to-video release, but was uh-huh. later purchased for theatrical distribution by Fox Searchlight Pictures. Yeah, so there's that. I yeah, apology. I, I, I the audience an apology. Uh, that was me getting ahead of myself, thinking that I knew something that clearly I did not. So yeah. you were right, and I mean, we're cutting this too. And the fact that every, I mean, there's some heavy hitters involved, and they agreed to do a film that would be originally just a, a television or DVD release. That they, they, they weren't, hum, you know, they weren't above that. You know, right? And, I don't know. It just didn't sound like something that. It just didn't sound like it sounded like something based off my notes were just like they knew from day one where they were going with this. And, you know, they were trying to fight to get Jeff Bridges to do it. But I guess at that time, Bridges was kind of going through a little slumber and he didn't mind doing a direct to TV movie like actors do when they're at points of their careers. Yeah. So and it was it was once they had either you know got underway or had wrapped everything, started putting it together. Like there's something here, it deserves more than just going straight to basic cable. Right, right. All right. So we see that Blake's not happy about his recent downfall in popularity. His manager Jack's now booking him at bowling alleys where he's not allowed to put any alcohol in his tab. Yeah, he can bowl all the free games he wants. I made a note. Like as soon as he pulls up, he's got to dump that 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 you know, milk bottle or cart, milk cart. Now he's got to, you know, he's on the road so much. Can't even stop the pee. He's got to pee in a damn plastic jug and pour it out in the parking lot. It's where yeah. his career's wound up. And, and he, he orders, you know, he, he gets up there to order the, his standard McClure's up with a beer back. And they're like, uh, sorry, no, no booze on your tab. 475. Also on the tab. No tab. I'm that darling. I'm hell. I am the band. Jimmy, tab. Mr. Blake, <clears throat> we have a real nice room for you over at the Starlight Inn, and of course all your meals are taken care of, but uh, I'm afraid we can't let you run a bar tab. Uh, it's in the contract. Uh, Mr. Green of Green and Gold, he put that in himself. Did he? Yes, sir. Well, if you and Jack have an agreement, we're gonna have to stick with that, but don't you worry yourself about it. How much? Four seventy-five. Mr. Blake, let me personally offer you all the free bowling you want. Hold that, would you please? Yes, sir. You know, but you can have all the free bowling you want. He can't drink for free. He can't smoke inside, but the man can bowl all the games he wants because he is a damn band. So back at the motel Blake's staying at, uh, he's on the phone with Jack about having new material ready for his protege, Tommy Sweet, played by Colin Farrell. Let's have the Colin Farrell discussion. Uh, So Colin Farrell, this was kind of also a, a similar resurgence for Colin Farrell. I know the year prior to this, he had a uh, prominent role in Pride and Glory. But I feel like the mid aughts, he, you know, he had like Alexander and some weird shit that really made people forget about who he was because he came in the, he broke through with uh, Tigerland from Joel Schumacher and then yeah. went on to another Joel Schumacher film and uh, phone, booth. Phone. phone booth. Phone booth. Phone booth. Sorry. Not payphone, phone booth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was the villain in uh, the Tom Cruise vehicle, Minority, minority, yeah, minority Report. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, can't forget Bullseye, Daredevil, baby. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, be bring, I'll be bringing that up later on because I made a little bit about that, uh, about, his, right. about his work as Bullseye. Um, I'll say that it was a combination of probably this <clears throat> and his role in, in Bruges that made me take him more seriously than just, you know, a heartthrob pretty boy, you know movie star yeah that's right that was also in 2008 i always forget when that and so this and were, were, were kind of back to back for him right or we're around the same yeah. time that year that's, part. When I, that's when i started to be like okay you know what i'm gonna take this guy a little more serious with his work because i'm anxious to see what he does with penguin in this new batman movie you know um i think it'd so, be more of a tease for later films than anything else even he said himself he's not in the movie that he's much. only like five or six scenes maybe 10 minutes of screen time and something tells me he's gonna chew it up and steal it a little bit uh, but yeah, this is his role. Tommy Sweet at first was like, man, I don't know if I can buy an Irish dude trying to play a country singer, but he sold me on it. And I was like, okay, he's not just, you know, uh, uh, a, a Tiger B poster boy, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, yeah, in Bruges, this, um, Fright Night and Horrible Bosses. He had <laughs> yeah, pretty big 2011. He was fun in that movie. Yeah, I always forget about that movie. <laughs> you know, this big old sugar bowl of cocaine. <laughs> that big ass forehead. <laughs> this fucking male pattern baldness. Yeah. Kind of put kind of looks he, he looks like uh Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> like the early days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got a very consistent career. Um yeah. And that that that's it. I mean, he's still well known today, and really? uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about him. Mm-hmm. So, Tommy doesn't want to lean too much on the older gravy train stuff that uh, Blake plays. Uh, Blake's a stubborn motherfucker. Yeah, well, I like, <laughs> I like it when he's he's arguing with his with his manager. You know, the guys, the manager's like going on, you know, trying to go off on him. And he just literally just hangs the phone on the lampshade while he doesn't even uh-huh. the guy while he's lighting his cigarette. He just puts a phone, hangs it on the fucking lampshade in the motel while this guy's going on telling him why, you know, he needs money to write songs for Tommy Sweet. Yeah. So we got Blake at the liquor store in town when he's noticed by Tom Bowers, Bill Wilson. <laughs> Mr. Blake? Oh. I'll be goddamn go to hell. It really is you, ain't it? I can't believe it. Bad Blake right here in my store. I'm Bill Wilson. I'm a big fan of yours. Here you go. Here you go. Here's your McClure's. I try to keep track of what all the stars drink. Hey, you know what? My wife, Beverly, she is one of your biggest fans. She'd flat out die if she knew you were here. But we're going to the show tonight. And if you could sing, I don't know for Beverly. You got it. Me the world to I don't know for Beverly. Yes, sir. That's it, buddy. Count on. Oh, hey, come here. Come here. I want to be able to tell everyone that I bought Bad Blake a drink. You're kidding me. No. <laughs> I thank you. Hey, I don't know for Beverly and Bill. Yes. Yeah, and this poor guy can't even afford. He's he's so broke he can't even afford his favorite brand of whiskey. He's got to slum it down to like, you know, the rail brand. He can't get his McClure's until 
you know, the owner's like, I want to be able to say I bought Bad Blake a drink. And that's when his mood changes. You see, like, he's, like, all reluctant about getting recognized and shit. He wants to get back to the room to get shit-faced. And the guy gives him a bottle of McClure's, and he's like, oh, all right, I'll, 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 play, I'll play a song for your wife. <laughs> well, let's give, let's give this guy the, the credit that he deserves. This is Tom Bauer we're talking about. True. Legendary character actor Tom Bauer. What's your favorite yeah. Tom Bauer performance? I'm Marvin Die Hard. I was going to say, too. I'm more of a Marvin fan myself. Yeah, die Marvin too. Die Hard too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I can't uh, have this conversation without bringing up Beverly Hills Cop too. Beverly Hills Cop too as a uh, Russ Fielding, the owner of the guns, the the gun shop. Oh that, yeah, uh, yeah, it's right. It is him. It's young Tom Bowers, Russ Fielding. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's been. Uh, he's been popping up in films for decades. Yeah, he's um, been gigging, man. He's getting work. Good for him. Yeah. And a gnarly death scene in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was he was the guy that, that owns gas station. It's like, yep. uh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that was him. We just watched that again not too long ago. That was, that was I, didn't, didn't you and I go see that in the theater together? Uh, I know I saw it in the theater. I thought we went together. Because that's one of the ones. No, like, you weren't with me for that. I saw it with a group, but you weren't okay. part of that group. I wasn't part of that. All right. I know I saw it. And I was like, this is one of those times where I prefer this to the original. You know, so, yeah, same, you're right. He, he, he has, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty hefty, you know, out at the end of the first act. You know, Hills have eyes. The, the last thing I've seen him in was uh, that El Camino Breaking Bad film a couple of years ago. He popped up in that for a yeah. scene. Yeah, he did. So, so yeah. All right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Tom Bauer, Bill Wilson. He's a big fan. He wants him to play. I don't know for Beverly. That's his wife. Mm-hmm. I don't know for Beverly. So back in the room, Blake's passed out with his whiskey propped up on his chest. Tony from uh Tony and the Renegades comes for his uh comes for him to rehearse. That's he his, his little pickup backup band. Now Tony's played by Ryan Bingham. And Tony is played by yes. I was going to talk about this. He's played yeah. by um. Ryan Bingham. Bingham. He's an actual musician. He wrote these songs. Like, I mean, I, yeah, T-Bone Burnett was a yeah. musical coordinator, but all these, you know, all of Blake's hits that are all catchy that, I mean, I'm, you know, as soon as the movie went off, I, I just, you know, put my headphones on and started singing along with the soundtrack. He wrote these songs. And, and he's the singer of the weary kind. He's the actual one who sings the weary kind. Right. At the, well, he sings he sings all these on, on his shows and stuff. In fact, I think he's got, you know, an album where, you know, it's more than just the crazy art stuff, but he does all these songs. But he wrote them all. Very mm-hmm. and it's I'd never heard of this guy before. And I'm like, then we watch it and I started looking up the soundtrack. I'm like, this is really good stuff. Original music, T Bone Burnett, but it turns out it was it was a kid that plays Tony, you know, lead guitarist for the pickup band that was and he's he's fairly young at the time. He's probably what, late twenties, early thirties? He looks very young, like he's yeah. in his mid twenties. Yeah, very talented guy, man. I started very listening talented. to his work because of this film. Yes, me too. So Blake gives him his lead sheets and chord charts and tells him that he'll meet him at the bowling alley later on, in about an hour. So we see uh, Blake finally get into the bowling alley with the band out back smoking a joint together before the show. Um. And that's where Tony's like, we thought you weren't going to make it. That's where he's like, son, that's, I played the- sick, drunk, divorced, and on the run. Bad Blake has never missed a show in his whole damn career. Yep. Um, so then we get to the actual show, and 
this has always been memorable to me because not not for a good reason. Just this is when he just this is when we see the the rough times of bad Blake. We see just how bad Blake is. Yeah, he's, uh, he's dripping sweat. He is just pouring sweat, and no, he's got the sways. And he just kind of mid song goes out back backstage and just goes out yeah, back, he, back he, he, to he, do he, a trash can. Yeah, they 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 he he and they get they start. I don't know. He dedicates it for Beverly, and before he can even start singing, he's got to run out back and hurl into a trash can. And my note here says, and, and like and he loses his glasses. Right, he loses glasses, pukes in a trash can, and and his Bridges' self disappointment in this few moments, uh, this few moments in this scene, like you can just see, he's let he's letting himself, his demons are even letting himself down, you know, because he had to he had to run out mid performance on, on what have been an important part of the show for the you know for this guy's wife, you know, and he's pissed at himself, but you know he just can't put the bottle down. You know, yeah, and I, I have here it's uh still a good way to be introduced to this uh problematic character who's clearly still hanging on to his glory days. Mm-hmm. And this is where we see uh Beth Grant sitting in the audience, someone who catches his eye and takes back to the hotel with the motel with him. Uh, Beth Grant here, another legendary uh character actor. I remember her as Miss Kettlewell from Child's Play 2. You probably remember her as the uh the mother in law from No Country for Old Men. That's where I was going. Okay. See, I know you too well. And <laughs> more recently, she was in uh, Willie's Wonderland with Nick Cage. Oh, yeah, that's right. I still haven't finished that. She was the sheriff. Yeah, she was. Um, yeah, I've always been a fan of her work. So, I always, yeah, a, a, another another character actor getting it done. You know, like, I always you know, smile when I see her pop up in films. So, yeah, just but it's it, but like you said, it's for whatever reason. When it, no matter how nice of a sweet old lady she plays on screen, the the naggy mother in law from No Country for Old Men is what always pops up in my head for her. She, I got the cancer. <laughs> That's what she keeps saying throughout the movie. Um. So we got Blake sneaking out of his room. Yeah, he just dips out sleeping. Yeah, but he'd make sure to take that last the, the last swig of whiskey. He grabs that bottle. Oh, he's got a couple yes. drinks left, and he ain't gonna leave that free bottle of McClure's. He needs one for the road, man. His drive uh-huh. across country continues on the uh the tour to his next stop. Yeah. So Blake goes to a cocktail lounge in town with his gear. The owner is playing piano over by the stage before and, introducing himself to Blake. And the owner kind of awkwardly. Ball. What's up? Well, I want to talk about Rick Dahl for a minute. No clue who that is, but that's the guy please, who plays. Educate Wesley. me. Okay, so Rick Dial is the guy that plays, you know, Wesley Barnes, the piano player, owner of the, uh, you know, owner of the, um, you know, the the saloon, whatever you want right. to call it, mm-hmm. and you know, doesn't have as much prolific work as as some of the other character actors we talked about. Um, in fact, I don't know that acting is his primary profession, but he shows up in this um, Sling Blade. And the apostle. So he's got ties with Robert Duvall. Duvall. Obviously. Yeah. Duvall. You know, because, you know, have you, have you ever seen the apostle, by the way? Have we ever talked about that? No, but I know what it is. I've never yeah, seen it's it. Yeah. Fucking though. great film. Powerful flick of Billy Bob Thornton shows up in that. So it's obviously like, you know, there, there's a, they're, they're a little like, a crew of buddies, Duvall, Dial, and Billy Bob. And, you know, because Rick Dial also plays, you know, he's in Sling Blade. I think it's probably his biggest role that I can think of as a guy that owns, you know, the garage 
that Carl Childers, you know, works and lives at in the beginning of the film. Right. You know, um, so yeah, Rick, Rick Dial always likes seeing him show up. It's for Usually it's Anna Duvall or Billy Bob Thornton flick. Cause a guy, I don't think is like a working actor, but you know, these guys get a, do a movie, get a movie and there's a role that he might suit and they get him to come on and do it. So mm-hmm. yeah, Rick Dial's only in like two scenes, but it's always good to see him because, you know, he's got, there's an air of like naturality about him. Like he kind of, you know, I don't want to say he plays the same character and every time I've seen him, I've seen him in those three films. Right, but right. it's just something believable about his delivery that if this guy's not a professional actor, he does it very well anyway. So that's what I wanted to say. I wanted to bring up Rick Dial and give him a little, you know, shout out here on the film effect. Yeah, very cool. So he kind of awkwardly asked if his niece, a local Santa Fe music writer, can come interview him before his show. And that's when uh Back at the motel, or introduced to his niece, Jean Craddock, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal, fresh off of her big ass role in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I like say one- big ass role because that that role, it, that 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 whole recasting still kind of fascinates me. I don't know what the hell Katie Holmes was thinking, but her loss, Maggie Gyllenhaal's biggest gain. Because I'll argue that. Uh, the character of Rachel Dawes is much bigger in the Dark Knight Rise in the Dark Knight than she is in Batman Begins. Well, I think it had something to do with her marriage to Tom Cruise at the time too. Like he had her all wrapped up with you know getting into Xenu and the Scientology bullshit, and she was trying to break away from that. And you know, I don't know that that's the reason, but like Maggie Gyllenhaal is one of those characters where like she, she's, I, I mean, I like her, you know, work. Don't get me wrong, but she's like there's some movies she she I find her cute and attractive, and some I'm just like, nah, I wouldn't even bother with her at last call you know um she i think the first time i ever saw her was where she played you know donnie darko's sister and donnie darko um, my first time seeing her was secretary with um james spader uh, james spader thank you that was that was where she first like her name first kind of got out there was with that you know secretary late 90s independent release um but yeah you're right it was it was the you know getting getting cast and dark Knight rises that i don't want to say skyrocketed her but more people knew who she was because obviously that type of film draws more box office receipts than secretary or crazy hardwood well i wrote here about I, I wrote here about her performance um uh she's continuing to make a name she's continuing to make a household name for herself i think her casting is perfect she's as believable in the role of being a single a strong single mother as she deserves to be it's so unfortunate that this is where the train pretty much ends for her in terms of astounding performances go her career sort of tampered off from this movie and yeah that's it after this came out her she started doing less I think she followed this up with a Nanny McPhee sequel for Christ's sake. I oh, mean, geez. That tells you exactly mm. where, how she, you know, where she was at in that point of her career. So as mm. uh, term as, uh, as far as um, stardom goes, I, I think that this was her peak, this film where she peaked. So far and, anyway, her career's not over yet, but it's not, but I mean, okay, <laughs> you're right. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Just think, but it has been 12 years. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there'll be a, some big Maggie Joan Hall resurgence in the next decade. So yeah. we'll see. Yep. Um, yeah. Now, meanwhile, she when they she first shows up, he's sitting there, you know, with nothing but a towel on, watching like a Spanish women in prison flick. Obviously, he's about to, you know, pleasure yeah. himself right yeah. before she knocks on the door. 
Yeah, so she gets there and is told to wait outside by Blake while he changes. Uh, he's a man who doesn't care and opts to finish his TV dinner during their interview. Uh-huh. She's able to use a tape recorder, but no pictures. Asking yep. her first if he always dresses for dinner. And she asks various questions about his childhood and early inspirations. The interview, uh, it's, it's coming along just fine. The two have obvious chemistry here that uh, I've never noticed before this early on. Gene brings up uh, recording a new album with Tommy Sweet and uh, what his actual name is. He says that he'll be bad at Blake till he dies, and only then his real name will be revealed on his tombstone. Then the interview suddenly cut short when she asked if uh, he has any children. Yeah, she brings up his son. That's a touchy subject. And he cuts his like, I got to get ready for the show. Yeah, but then she asked for another half hour after a set, but uh, he says that they'll, uh, we'll, they'll see how he's feeling afterwards later on. Right. So then we cut to his uh, performance with Gene's uncle playing the piano in Bad Blake's band. Gene can be seen taking pictures of his set. The performance itself goes pretty well, unlike the last time we saw him playing. Yeah. Uh, a female fan named Ann approaches Blake after his first set and offers dinner and some fun, but he says that he has an interview and can't participate. He then agrees to play a song for her instead, which he kicks off his second set with. And then, uh, yeah, she and, that, that, and, and, and like says, okay, well, if you reconsider, she gives him her card, so he's she slipped her number to him. That right, right, right. And he just puts in his pocket because he's you know obviously you know a little more smitten with with the Gene character because you know. he's working on Gene right now. Right, right. So uh, Blake and Gene are having more of this interview over some drinks back at his room. I don't want to talk about Tommy. you want to talk about i want to talk about how bad you make this room look never noticed what a dump it was until you came in here <laughs> i haven't seen somebody blush in i don't know how long well i can't help it my capillaries are close to the skin where are you from anyway i'm from enid oklahoma of course you are. What's the most important thing about you, Oklahoma? I've got a son. A buddy. He's four. She asks what real country is, and then asks if Tommy's sweet's real country. She's using this as a crutch to get him to open up about Tommy, but instead he turns the tables on her and starts hitting on her. Yeah, he's like, I want to talk about how bad you make this room look. <laughs> yeah, yes, he does. She tells him that she has a four-year-old son named Buddy and then says that he's with a babysitter and she should go get him, excuses herself. He invites her to his show the next night for some more information. She agrees. Now, did you notice, like, just after she leaves, like, when, when she kind of, like, cuts it short? Because, obviously, he's trying to get her into bed right then and there. Uh-huh. She's got to get back to her son. So as soon as she leaves, he pulls out Ann's card out of his pocket, like gives it another think, like oh, maybe let's give her a call, get you know, get this, you know, get one out of the way anyway. You don't see anything happen, but it's it's kind right, of rough right. to assume that because things that you know he he didn't get the score with Gene tonight, he's gonna give Annie a call and see maybe he can't knock that one out. Old habits never die, right? So the next morning, Blake's manager Jack gives him the news that he's been offered to play in Arizona, opening for Tommy Sweet. Hey, Dad, I got great news for you. Now, I busted my ass on this. So write it down. 
Cancel Benson, Arizona on your itinerary. You into Phoenix, Arizona, Sun Pavilion, 8 o'clock sharp. How's that? Pavilion. Hey, I just called to tell you you're out of the Red Bison Lounge. And you're opening a major show in Phoenix. Opening? Shit, I don't Man, open. cut the shit now. Where else are you going to play in front of 12,000 people? Opening for who? You're opening for Tommy. No, no. No, no goddamn way. I haven't been able to convince him about doing the record yet. But no. at least I got him to No, no, it. no. I'm not going to do it, Jack. I'm not going to open for Tommy. I'll open for somebody else, not Tommy. Who else are you going to open for? You're going to open for Madonna? You want me to call the her? The dream of every side man is that somebody the front man whose ass he's been staring at for years is going to open for him. I don't owe Tommy Sweet that dream. I don't owe him a fucking thing. We both know. Tommy owes you big. But we also both know how much this is worth. I'm going to call you back this afternoon. There is no time, babe. Yes or no? I've got to have time to think about this. Come on. No time, yes or no? Yes, goddammit. Yes, yes, yes. Fuck yes. All right. OK. Jesus Christ, it's like pulling it out of you. Now, don't fuck it up, all right? Hey, let me ask you something. Am I going to actually get to go backstage and meet Tommy and everything? That's very funny, bad, but I don't have time for this shit. Goodbye. See you later, you fucking asshole. He reluctantly, he reluctantly agrees to yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't want to do spot. it at first. He doesn't want to do it at first because he feels a little beneath him. Like, I don't open for, you know, I don't open for anybody, let alone Tommy Sweet. And he makes a comment, too. He's like, that's, that's you know, something about, uh, this uh, every side guy's dream is having having your former lead singer open it for you because you you know you spent the beginning of your career staring at his ass, right? You know? And he, at first you know it's beneath him because he's he's not an opener he's a closer especially for Tommy Sweet, but then you know managers like um it's big money and it's a twelve thousand seat arena it's not some little watering hole in Benson Arizona. <laughs> so he agrees. I like this part afterwards. He's like. Will I actually be able to go backstage and talk meet, to Tommy you, Sweet? Will I actually be able to go backstage and meet Tommy Sweet? <laughs> so then we see uh, Blake's second night in Santa Fe. Blake's sweating and happy, dancing with fans in the audience in between yeah. verses and such. Yep. And then he's seen in his truck waiting out for Gene, who eventually comes late due to finding a babysitter at, four, at 1 a.m. She was able to find someone that late. My That's question. what I'm saying, but he's like, he's like, sweetheart, I get off work at one a.m. He's like, this is yeah. a thing for me. <laughs> so she follows him back to his room for a drink, and we see them in bed with their drinks, laughing and having a moment together. He eventually comes clean to her about how he feels, and she asks him if uh, this is his famous country charm. To which he says he was never known for any famous charm. She tells him that it isn't too late to start, as they share a passionate first kiss in his bed. Uh-huh. Then we cut to the following morning with her in bed with him. He tells her about his gig in Arizona the next night and asks her if she wants to come with him. She says that she can't. Uh, he then asks if uh, he can come fix her and her son some breakfast. Some of the, yeah, man, I um, want I want famous some bad, bad Blake biscuits. I was I was gonna say I want some of Bad Blake's breakfast biscuits. Man, they look pretty tasty. Yeah, you do. <laughs> this is where we see Blake and her son Buddy bonded over biscuits yep, outside. Bonded over biscuits. Before he takes off for his show, she tells him about how she's very protective of Buddy. So Buddy's in the fray now. Buddy's mm-hmm. this little cute four or five-year-old actor here who uh, 
he makes some goofy faces, but I don't know. He's just a natural child actor, just a kid doing kid things. Uh, yeah. I, I think the chemistry between him and Jeff Bridges is pretty adorable. Yeah, it is. It is. I'll agree. Yeah. So cute kid. Uh, then uh, so we got Blake arriving uh, to the venue. And he pulls up and he sees his name on the marquee underneath Tommy Sweet's name. And so uh, what the hell does he say to like son of a bitch or something like that? When he pulls uh, up and sees his name in like a little font underneath, yeah, it's the like Tommy, Tommy Sweet's real font. big, and it's like featuring Bad Blake, like is is in the smaller font beneath it. Yeah, yeah. So then he goes backstage. So we got this backstage area that's just full of RVs and trailers. Yeah, nothing it's what like I, and, and and what, right, he put, you know, it's it's like a whole fleet of of like charter tour buses and eighteen wheelers carrying gear, and here comes this legendary. You know, past his prime, rocker pulling up in his beat up Chevy Silverado from you know eighty eight. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all set to Waylon Jennings. I don't think Hank done it this way. I love that song, man. That's a good song. Didn't they use it in a Star Is Born too? The Bradley Cooper one, probably. It sounds familiar. Yeah, um, you yeah, you would know more than me about that. Um, yeah. Waylon yeah. Jennings. I don't think Hank done it this way. <laughs> There you go. So Blake's introduced to Tommy's road manager, who then introduces him to the stage manager, Bear, who goes over everything with Blake before showing him his well, room. Bear's a sound guy. He's not the stage manager, but he's... That's right. I, yeah, I wrote that down wrong. Sound manager. Sound engineer. Yeah. So uh, he, show, he goes over everything with them before showing him his room and the live band for the night. They crack open a bottle left for them before yeah, we cut the sound check. Yeah, Tommy had sent him a kid, but he, he gets his dressing room and there's a case there's a case of McClure's whiskey. He says, save a drink for me, Tommy. And the first thing he says to meet the band, like, let's crack into this booze, shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's drink some of this booze, shall we? So then we cut to the sound check. Which I've always thought this this little interaction between it's like, this scene is like Blake versus Bear. <laughs> yeah and it shows what goes on not necessarily behind the scenes but before a show at a, especially a big outdoor venue like that where you got to get everything set. oh yeah this is real like this shit happens yeah you know, it's, it's, i mean if you if you never with the stage the the, the sound guy all right the time. you gotta you know and they, they gotta rehearse like where the cues are gonna be and like you know get the levels right and play you know, he's like the, the sound guy always wants to fuck with the opener make the headliner sound better you know, and he's here. And he's saying it you like close too, enough to yeah. the microphone. Bears hearing that you can hear coming over to PA. Yeah, you know, because he he responds to that by saying something like five more minutes, cowboy." Something like he's that. like, "I'll I'll stand up here and rehearse straight into Tommy set till you get it right, Bear." <laughs> All right, so then we got Blake enjoying dinner at a restaurant alone. When Tommy comes in and sits down with Blake, almost immediately a fan comes over for an autograph. He tells the fan that Blake's autograph's the one that he he's needs. like, yeah, he's yeah, that's the autograph you want right there. This bad yeah. Blake told me, and then the guy's like, yeah, okay, he has no idea. <laughs> Does not <laughs> give a shit. He's yeah, just fixated on on Tommy exactly. Right. Well, well, heard you might be here. You son of a bitch, sit on down. You always knew the right thing to say. <sighs> How the hell are you, bad? I'm worse. It's about right, I reckon. When you give up on the Southern Comfort, huh? I still drink it on stage. It's good for the throat. Half of it, tell me. Too damn sweet for me. Hell, I never liked it either. But when you're one of Bad's boys, you gotta be able to put away the whiskey. Mm. I'm sorry, I, I hate to interrupt. 
Can I get an autograph, Tom? Sure. Thanks. My favorite. I, I got all your records. Oh, thank you. But this is the uh, this is the autograph you need. It's bad Blake. Taught me everything I know. Cool. Great, thanks. I'll uh, I'll be at your show tonight. I may even make it to San Diego. Appreciate your support. So Tommy tells him how glad he is that Blake's doing this before reminiscing about the past. Much to Bad's dismay, actually. They continue talking about they they continue talking going outside of the restaurant to smoke. This is, uh, this is where Tommy apologizes for uh, things not working out and points that uh points out that Bad gave him his start. Blake cracks his detention by busting him over his boots. Uh, hey, those are the ugliest yeah. boots I've ever seen. The salesman threatened to shoot your dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before bringing up another album together, he blames it on the record company. Yeah, the label says that he needs the money him, now. Yeah, well, it, you know, he, it, the, the label let him write for him, but won't let him record with him. Right. Where it won't says. let Blake record with Tommy. So like I keep pushing for you, pushing for you. You're the first one every time, and they just keep pushing back. It's not not gonna do, Blake. Yeah, he needs something of a of a jump start, but Tommy says that he can't get them the budget on this one. He He's instead like, offers seven. I don't got much time left. Yeah. He instead offers bad a job writing songs for him, but he declines before leaving. It's beneath him. Yes. Especially because this is you know, obviously, it's it's obvious that 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 Tommy was probably his main guitarist on tour back in his heyday, and then so now his career surpassed Bad's, and there's a bit of resentment in that, which naturally is rival. There's going to be rivalry between artists. Artists are are, are, are are you know pretentious like that. You know, where you're supposed you should feel good for somebody who's arguably a friend, but. They've kind of they're doing better than you, and 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 you're going to hold resentment, which especially at that age, when your career's been in a slump for so long, it's hard to you know to shake that. And it's probably part of the reason he's so reliant on looking for you know getting to the answer without the bottom of a bottle. You know, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely. So before his set, Blake's told that he's got to sell X amount of merch. And CDs at his merch stand. Yeah, he got said, uh, said 500 CDs. Like, tell us, get his ass down to Arizona to pick them up. I, I play and I sing. I don't sell. That's right. I play it. Bad says that he doesn't sell his own stuff before taking the stage. Featuring a surprise appearance from Tommy Sweet himself. Yeah, Blake's uh, at the beginning of his set. He, he, he starts off with, you know, what was it? Uh, 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 Fallen Flying. Fallen and Flying. Fall yeah, and flying. which is my my favorite of the originals. My favorite of the songs that he does. I love all of them, but that's my favorite. That's my go-to. And I got a note here. It's it, yeah, I get it. Like why? It's kind of fucked up what Tommy does to him because he's only on stage for about a minute in front of these twelve thousand people, which he probably hasn't experienced in fifteen years. And, and now comes just, Tommy stealing like, the shirt. Yeah, sneak, stealing sneaks the sort of spotlight to like yeah to like kind of duet with him on the one song. And, you know, Blake plays it off on stage, so he's not going to give it up to the crowd. But it's fucked up. He stole his moment of thunder. He's only got 45 minutes. Tommy's got two fucking hours to be out there. Yep. You know, here's a, the, the first three of his 45 minutes. There's fucking Tommy Sweet, and the crowd's going fucking bonkers. And this is where I made a note. You ever think you'd ever see two Marvel villains singing together? Uh, see, that's where I was going to bring up Bullseye. You got Bullseye and Obadiah Stane. Duet yeah. on a country song. Well, 
I can tell you for one, being someone who's been to over probably 1,500 to 2,000 shows in my lifetime, this will never happen. This you will never see something like this go down where like the the big main event attraction like comes out like doing the opening acts like let alone the opening act alone but they come out the first they, song no I, they're I, backstage I, I, I'm, I'm with we you he's it's, back there resting his voice the the reason the scene the reasoning behind it though is because unlike other opening acts Tommy's got an actual admiration and you know deep appreciation and personal connection with the i I get that i get it's obvious that he's sincere about like he almost he plays it with almost like a tinge of regret for his success because yeah he wants his career to be there but he feels blake should be at the same level too and they should be you know uh, they should be at the same level, not one above the other. And that's how he, every scene with him in it, like he, it's almost like he wants to apologize for his trajectory to this guy who gave him his start. Because he's constantly acknowledging how Blake is the one that, you know, bad got this guy started. If it weren't for bad, he probably wouldn't be where he is today. But nobody wants to recognize that. They just, they just want to star fuck Tommy Sweet. But no, at this point in real life, Tommy's sitting backstage. He's doing his stretches he's gargling clover water he's doing everything he has to do to be you know prepared for his two hours you know set that he's he's not going out there and uh, singing of all things you know wasting his voice when just doing a sing-along with his, his his old you know mentor and stuff it's it's just i get why like you said but in real life this shit would never be happening yeah. <laughs> uh it's so now we're at a payphone in the middle of nowhere. Blake calls Gene when Buddy answers. They talk about biscuits for a moment when Gene gets <laughs> on and asks how Phoenix was. Uh, he tells her that he's thinking about her and then asks if she's thinking about him. He says that he's got a couple days off before Houston and asks to come over. After some hesitation, she agrees to let him come. So he hits the road in an effort to reach her within a few hours. Whoa. Yeah, meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, this poor guy's got his damn laundry drying out in the back in the back window of his truck. He's he's just so broken, not on the run, but constantly on the road just to make ends meet that he can't even stop at a laundromat. You know what I mean? He's got to air his shirts out hanging in the back window of his blazer. Well, a laundromat's the least of his worries because unfortunately, while on the road, he yeah. starts to fight sleep and eventually yep. loses control of his truck and rolls off the road. Mm-hmm. So he wakes up in a hospital room in Santa Fe with a broken ankle and a concussion. And he asks to talk to the doctor to get released. The doctor comes in and says that he's concerned about his condition. Tells him that he's an alcoholic who needs to start being serious about his health. And he also wants him to lose 25 pounds. This might not seem a lot to uh, the average listener, but you try it's telling six- an overweight alcoholic that. Yeah, it's at 67. It's a bigger feat than it is at 20. Yeah. So Blake stays at Gene. In her bed, he's sitting up with his guitar and starts slowly singing the weary kind after coming up with the words and chords on the spot, which yeah, he just, uh, gives he's Gene right all it, the feels. Put it together. You watch him put this this song together all throughout the film. And it, it's what I noticed last night is it's really you kind of see every time that he's working on it there's a previous scene that inspires him to get back and pick up that guitar and get to work on new music. 
you know, and it's, right. you know, this, this initial relationship with her has got him like, can't get out of his head. So he's starting to, he, he's starting to put it together. And then again, later on, when he's back at his own home, you know, he gets to work on it. So you're seeing, you actually get to see the inspiration of him writing what's going to become probably the biggest hit that he's ever written. Ain't no place for the weary kind. You know that song? Hmm? Can't remember who did it. That's the way it is with good ones. I'm sure you've heard them before. You wrote that? Yes, ma'am. Just now. This is so unfair. What? Some people give 10 years of their life to be able to do something like that, and it just, just pours out of you. You mad at me? You want me to go to a motel? No. What? I don't want you to go. Well, what then? Well, you're writing a song on my bed. So? So, every time I lie down and him hear that beautiful goddamn song and you're gonna be out there running around, not even remembering this day. I can't even forget. Hey, you're about to walk and come to you, sweetie. Come here. Come here. Listen to me. When I was at the hospital, I thought about who to call. Who really gives a damn about me? And then I thought about who I wanted to see. You hear me? Huh? I'm not going to forget about you. So we got Blake on the phone again with his manager, Jack. He says that he's got a $75,000 offer to write songs for Tommy Sweet, along with another $25,000 to follow. Outside on the porch, Gene asked Blake to do one favor for her. Don't drink in front of Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. While he's talking to his manager, he's like, he's at first, naturally, he doesn't want to slum himself and write for his pro, you know, for his young protege. But the tune in 100 grand changes that. And he says to me, because he says to his manager, you found out your sister was a $35 trick, you'd overbook her. That's right. Uh, so we got Blake meeting Gene and Buddy on the ground after they come down from a hot air balloon ride. Yeah. Uh, then we're at dinner. Blake tells Gene that he's got a 27-year-old son that he's never seen before and knows nothing about. I hadn't seen him since he was four. Is that what he says? Yeah, he says his son's 28, but he hadn't oh, seen I him. I misheard. Since uh, okay. Uh, yeah, he hasn't honestly, seen his son in, in 25 years. So it's been, you know, he 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 left the boy's mom. Like, says he wasn't there. Yeah, he just wasn't there for the majority of his life. He knew him as a baby, but then the kid probably doesn't even remember because he was so young when he left. And back at home, the two get passionate as she's uh, taking him to his room. 
The next morning, she says that she's taking Buddy to daycare and she'll be back around three o'clock. Buddy says that uh, he wants to stay with Blake's to do some man stuff. Yeah, we're going to do man stuff, mom. So she leaves in the car seat. Blake tells Buddy they should go out and uh, get into some trouble together. Right. So they first go to a park and we see Blake struggling. Man, he is struggling. Yeah, he's, chain he's smoking. Yeah, he's chain smoking. He's, he's staying sober in front of the kid. You know, by the time they get home from the playground, he is just sweating for a drink, man. Yep. And like, uh, Gene, just... so, yeah, Gene comes home and panics because there's no one home. But then we see Blake and Buddy coming home together and she's relieved in the bathroom. Blake and right away, drink. He, be- he, yeah, he beelines for his, you know, to his bedroom so he could sneak that little, you know, hip flask and get himself a belt or two of whiskey to, you know, to, 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 call off the shakes <laughs> he's just breathing heavy out of shape just it's just killing him dude uh-huh. and us as the audience like we're just just it's just you know yeah you're 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 looking at this guy the demon's got a hold of him you know it's and it's had a hold of him for quite some time at this point yeah yeah and he's just reluctant to come to terms with it so blake leaves for houston and asks gene if uh, her and buddy will come visit He's breathing heavy and drinking. The two get into a little argument before he leaves over uh, his drinking, but it's quickly resolved when Gene gets over it and kisses him goodbye anyway. So Blake's riding back to Houston, and uh, he goes to see his old friend Wayne, who's an old bartender. Who plays Wayne? Robert Duvall, man. Let's have this discussion. Yep. So... Man, this guy, you want to talk about a career like Robert yeah. Duvall. Has got a career like where no you, other. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pop quiz, hot shot. What was it? Where do you get a start? What, what, what role? Oh, uh, kill a mockingbird. Yep, Boo Radley. Yep, little Boo Radley. Was it mm-hmm. the apple tree? It's and, and I remember seeing that because that's like Mandy's argument. That's one of Mandy's favorite movies. She loves the book. Um, I've seen it probably four times. Great film, you know, just fantastic story. You know, it's just it's it's an all American novel for classic for a reason. I think I was and I think the first time was probably in high school because we had to read the book. So, you know, naturally, it's like the teacher would show the movie, you know, throughout a couple of cla- um, you know periods of of English class. And I don't think it was till like the third time I watched it that I realized that that's a young Robert Duvall with blonde hair. Yep. Um, And then, of course, True Grit. He's in, it's the second time we talked about this episode, but he's in the original True Grit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tommy Hagen and the Godfather. That's right. I was about to say that same thing. Um, conversation, Godfather Part Two. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, one, one of his most now. affecting performances is that, that one scene he's got in Sling Blade as Carl Childers' dad. Where he's just, and it's depressing. He's just this crazy old drunk sitting at the dilapidated house when Carl comes in, I'm your boy. And he's just like gym, mumbling gibberish for, I don't know what it is about Duvall and Billy Bob Thornton, but they just like, there's kind of like this father something almost like Bad Blake and Tommy Sweet where they just, you know, pick each other up and, you know, give each other shots. Because Billy Bob shows up in The Apostle. And again, guys, if you have not seen Robert Duvall, because Robert Duvall directed this film, too. He's basically like an evangelist, Southern evangelist who... He also wrote it. Yeah, it's going to say, I know he directed, he wrote it, too. It was like a little passion project, and he plays this evangelist, Southern evangelist named Sonny, 
who has to kind of hit the road after after a crime of passion if you will against his wife's new lover and um again rick dial shows up in that film and Billy Bob Thornton, it's, it, it's another one of those heartwarming, it'll make you cry stories. But he plays the role of this evangelist. Like, if he wasn't acting, the guy could be shilling Jesus, you know, to the Southern Gothic crowd, man. So, yeah, the Apostle is is definitely, definitely worth your time. He's just the guy that you like to see when he pops up in these yeah. movies. Like, yeah, I Mom's love seeing the guy in Falling Down. I love seeing him in yes, um, Gone in sixty seconds. Guilty pleasure of mine. He's in that. Um, which, which one? Which one? I'm sorry. Gone, Gone in sixty seconds. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, hell, I'll even throw out John Q and and the role that he's in in that movie as well. Denzel Washington. Yep. I enjoyed. Yeah, so, just watch that not too long ago too. Very good movie. God damn, it's yeah. a good movie. Yeah, really it's is. it's kind of written off as being as being a cheesy B flick beneath Denzel, but it's just you know it ain't out to win awards, it's out to tell a story. And I'll be damned if it doesn't tell a good story. Nick Cassavetti's movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, good stuff. All right, so back to the film. The two catch up while Blake drinks some shots. Says that he met someone in Santa Fe, and Wayne introduces Blake to his coworker. Now. Is this a coworker or is this a partner? No, it's his, it's his employees. Like Blake said, because like uh, Bad gets into the, gets there and he and he asked Duvall how his business. He goes, "What business?" He goes, "I had to cut all the staff. It's just me and me and Jesus." And Jesus is like his only employees, like his bar back. Okay, you know, because like, I felt like when he introduces he Jesus, Jesus, not to... even his name. When he introduces him as Jesus, he's like, "Oh, my name's Jose." <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, when he introduces him, it, it, I don't know. Maybe I was just not paying close enough attention to the movie and, and at not, this particular it's, moment and writing down my his, notes. It's not his business partner, but it's literally the only employee he can keep on staff because business is so okay. shit. I didn't know if it was a business partner or if yeah. it was a, uh, like a, like a friend or a coworker or whatever. Yeah, I, he's, I, he's, I, it's his, the only employee that he can afford to, to pay because business is just shitty. So he's there seven days a week, 10 to bar. And Jesus is just restocking the bar and fucking mopping right. the floors and shit. So at home, this is where we get uh, Blake calling his son Stephen to make amends, yep. only to have his son tell him that his mother, Bad's ex-wife Mary Jo, has died, and then tells him that he's not interested much in meeting him after uh, abru- before abruptly hanging up. It's very quick. It's very. Yeah, it kind of shuts him down. He's like, "Thanks, but no thanks. You weren't here for the last twenty-five years." Very old. cold. Very cold. Yeah, very, very disheartening. Very disheartening scene. Hello? Hi. Uh, is this Stephen Reynolds? Yeah, this is he who's calling. Uh, uh, well, actually, I'm on a bit of a, a hunting trip here, buddy. I'm trying to track down a Mary Jo Reynolds. Uh, she lived in uh, Nashville from 1980 to 1985. She was uh, born in Lima, Ohio. You wouldn't be related by any chance, would you? She was my mother. Hey, buddy, I can't hear you. Who, who, who is this? Your father. Who? I'm Bad Blake. Uh, here in Houston, I'm your father. How are you? What do you want? <laughs> kind of shocked hearing your voice. Uh, you said was. 
Mary Jo's dead? Two years come this October. What happened? Everything. I'm sorry, Stephen. Yeah, well, listen, what do you want? I want to see you. I don't think so. Well, will you, will you think about it? You know, take down my number, uh, so... I got your number. <clears throat> uh, well... You know, sleep on it, think about it, and, uh... Really would like to talk. Imagine that. And I'm... I, I'm I'm kind of with Wayne on this one, because when he tells Wayne about what happened, Wayne's reaction to it is like, his loss... You know, because it's, 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 I, I feel like I can, I can have a say in this conversation, you know, growing up without a father in my life, like eventually, you know, there was a hatchet that was buried between the two of us. And I never held, it's never too late. Yeah. And I, I never held a grudge. And that's just, it was just never my thing. You know, I never faulted my father for anything. Right. Things happened between him and my mother it had nothing to do with me. And, right. you know, why should I hold him responsible? For yeah, you weren't the was... reason, so. Right. And I kind of feel in this situation here, it's like, all right, dude, like, it's it's time to end that grudge. Yeah, because they're, they're out there. What, what it is, uh, we, we got, got a little bit of a head because right, bef- right before that, um, after the conversation with his son, um, you know, he goes, naturally, he gets fucking shit face and passes out. And then Gene calls him. <laughs> in the morning and he's got to end the call abruptly because he's got to get up and go, go hurl. He's, you know, he's got the, you know, he, he's detoxing, you know, he woke up with the sweats and he's got to go puke. And that's when Wayne comes in, sees him on the bathroom floor in his underwear. He's like, get dressed. We're going fishing. Mm-hmm. And then they're out there in Wayne's boat. They're fishing. In fact, I made a note. I love because he's got the cooler. He's got, they got a cooler out there with him. And he, he's like, toss me another one of them barley pops. That's what he calls a beer is a barley pop. <laughs> I'm going to start using that term. Babe, grab me another barley pop out of the fridge. Yeah, it's, it's you know, and then he breaks into this beautiful song by himself. While yeah. Wayne. yeah, Duvall can sing, man. Uh, uh. <laughs> so your boy... Your boy don't want to talk to you? No. I don't blame him. I was wrong. I had no right to call him. Wait, hold on. You were wrong 25 years ago. You've been wrong since, but you called him. Now you're not wrong. You're right. He's wrong. Wayne, I went 24 years without trying to find him. He's right. Too little, too late. No, never too late, son. Never too late. You called him, it's done. (laughs) All right? It's complete. Mm. Now you're on the right track. You just just keep going because he's your son. All right? That's all I got. Well, you keep after him. That's what you got to do. It's like, you know, it reminded me. A song by Billy Joe Shaver. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to cross that river. I'm going to catch tomorrow oh, yeah. now. Go something like, nobody here will ever find me. I'll always be around, just like the songs I leave behind me. I'm gonna live forever now. Now listen to this now. Your fathers and your mothers, be good to one another. Please try to raise your children right. 
Don't let the darkness take them. Don't make them feel forsaken. Just lead them safely to the light. There you go. So uh, Gene calls and asks if uh, he's all right uh, after being sick the other uh, uh, other day over the phone. He passes it off as uh, food poisoning. Uh She mentions having a few days off work to come visit, but she's reluctant because of his drinking and buddy. She eventually agrees, and we see the two come to town, much to Blake's delight. And then we got Blake showing them around Houston. It's a little, little bit of a little, little bit of our, our our montage. It's about as close as a montage we're going to get. But you know, a little yeah. bit. They go to Houston and they go to the aquarium. And we love she our mentions- montages here on the film. We do, we do. They go. Uh, she mentions raising Buddy, taking a lot of her energy, and this is where Blake tells her to go back and uh, get some rest. And he'll take yeah, Buddy there, around yeah, for they're himself. Like at the aquarium or whatever. And he's like, "You look a little tired. Why don't you get get some rest, and we'll get together, for, you know, for lunch in a little while." Mm-hmm. Yeah, take exactly. Out, you know, to do so, some more man stuff. Go to the mall. They go to yep. the mall and they hit up the local bar restaurant that's inside the mall. Well, yeah, because they're outside. He's like getting Buddy to toss coins in a wishing fountain. And it's obvious he's struggling because he hasn't had a drink in a couple of hours. You see him kind of glancing over his shoulder, knowing there's going to be like a, uh, like a TGI Friday's type joint in this little strip mall. So he convinces Buddy to go inside and get out of the heat. Meanwhile, he wants to go inside and sniff out some booze. Yeah. So they go to the bar. Uh, he orders himself a double. Yeah, and, a, and a ginger ale for Buddy. Yeah, and tells Buddy go explore. Much Buddy to the much, well, much to the bartender's dismay. Uh, yeah, that he's even the bartender's like, um, you're drinking in front of this kid. The kid's yeah. not even five, so even the bartender can, you know, he's obviously he can call a drunk a mile away, but he sees it in the first ten seconds yep. that this guy's, you know, this guy's a raging alcoholic. He's got a four year old in tow. It's probably eleven thirty in the morning, and he's because, like a double the course. Yeah, because he sends Buddy to go fetch him some bar pretzels, and that's when the guy's reaction at first is like he rolls his eyes at like the fact that his grandson or whatever is going and yeah, fetching well, he, the pretzels yeah, he from says, the bar. want to go explore? Go ahead. And then Buddy comes back with a bowl of pretzels. He's like, well, you're finding all kinds of cool stuff, bud. And yeah. then Buddy just kind of like dips out, you know, on the left side of the screen. Within 10 seconds, he's MIA. He's fucking missing. And this scene is heartbreaking when, when, because, um, well, because Blake, Blake loses him because he's, he's paying attention to pulling out the $12 that he needs to pay for his tab. Even I'm sitting there thinking a $12 tab for, oh, you got a double. I guess that makes sense. Well, yeah, you got a double, for, you got a double of top shelf whiskey. And I'm sure that yeah. ginger ale was at least four or $5 itself. Yeah. Ain't no, ain't no soft drink cheap at a bar. No, no, no. But I mean, when the, the, the scene of him, like, you know, get, with his drunk on, panicking, like roaming around looking for Buddy, is very devastating, man. It's a devastating scene. And the one that follows that in the, in, in the security office is even more heartbreaking. Uh, I lost my little boy. Okay. He's got brown hair. Four years old, his name is Buddy. Buddy, what was he wearing? I don't don't remember. Okay, well, sir, where'd you last see him? Uh, A bar. Uh, A bar? Which which bar, sir? Oh, hell, I don't know. It's a little dark bar. Okay. All stations, we've got a lost boy, four years old, brown hair, name's Buddy. Report back, please. 
Thank you. Okay, what, sir? Why don't you stay here with me, okay? No, I gotta go find him. He's lost. He's from New Mexico. I'm supposed to meet his right. mother. I, I understand that we're gonna find him, all right? But I need you to stay here. All our guys are out looking for him, all right, sir? <sighs> sir, how much have you had to drink today? I had a drink. Drink. What goddamn difference does that make? Well, you lost him, sir. Yeah, I lost him. I'm gonna go find him. Yeah, so yeah, buddy turns up missing, and this leads Blake on the uh, wild goose chase. He's frantic, going all around the place, the mall, yeah, searching it's, it's for him, stopping in stores and the garage, you know, and the, and, and the parking garage. Yeah, and, you know, he's he like coming to the lobby of a movie theater. He eventually alerts security, who immediately uh, who who pick up on the alcohol in Blake's breath almost immediately, saying that he lost him at a bar. Panicking, Blake can't make any sense and is determined to find Buddy. Buddy's eventually found by security, but it's too late. Gene finds out that he lost Buddy while drinking and wants nothing to do with him anymore. Yeah, yeah. So this is where we got Gene back at the house packing up. And she leaves with Buddy and saying that uh, uh, he's self-involved like every other man in her life. Yeah. She, she tearfully leaves and refuses to let Blake see or talk to Bud. They leave in the cab together, and with this being the ultimate last straw, yeah, Blake he just ends he, up he naturally that his go-to is man. Now he's heartbroken. His go-to is the McClure's going to take away the pain, and he probably polishes off a handle of McClure's in a couple of hours. But then we see and, him call Wayne and admits yep, to wanting to get hit, help him get sober. Yep, he is hit. He knows he's hit rock. This is this is it. He's he's hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. He's hit rock bottom. So we got Blake and AA at a really, really nice treatment facility. Well, yeah, he's got the money. You know, I'm sure. I'm, well, he's got 95 grand in the bank with with a record <laughs> advance, so he can afford to go to you know Promises or Freedoms or whatever one of them high end Malibu joints that cost you 90 grand, uh, you know, 50 grand for you know 28 days. Goddamn, I love my coffee, but fuck, man, that's like, just <laughs> goes right through me. That's, I'm, I'm surprised I had to you know, take my morning constitutional yet, but yeah, I got to have a cup every day and it definitely, it definitely gets the juices flowing for me. God damn. It's like you take that for a sip and we're off to the races. Yeah. Do you drink it every day or no? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just one cup for me in the morning, but I got to have it. If I don't, like I'll be sluggish. Same, but that one cup just runs right through me. And I ended up yeah, pissing well, like yeah, four or five times. Yeah, half it's hour. a heart racing. Makes you, makes you poop. <laughs> Shit. So, uh, an ecstatic Wayne picks up Blake from rehab, and boy, is he ecstatic to see his buddy Blake. Yep, and it's a rehab talk, man. Blake's in good shape, man. Feeling good. Yeah, and like Wayne says, one day at a time. Well, yep, that's how you got to take it. One day at a time. At time. One, one day at a time. So, we see Blake performing at Wayne's bar in front of an intimate crowd. He looks clean and much better, sharper overall. Yep. Look, looking good, Blake. Yeah, and I, I made a note, too, that, like, um, you know, I really like it. And they do this often, you know, when they're picking these type of stories. But the whole his whole physical appearance and demeanor is completely changed now that he's sober. He's, you know, yeah. clean shaven. You know, he's obviously, it's obvious just the, the way he's put, he's taking better care of himself, you know, so that, you know, 30-day stay of promises or whatever seemed to stick. Seemed to work, man. He, you know, well, he's we're about turning shit around. Yeah, but we're about to find out. It's not all sunshine and sunflowers. No, no, no. 
Yeah, this is this you know true to life type story, man. This shit so like this. this is where we see Blake going to see Gene in her home. He yeah, apologizes. Yeah, nine hundred miles one way to make amends. Oh fuck! I never thought about that. The yeah, distance. think about Damn. it. There and back is almost two thousand miles. She lives eight hundred seventy nine miles away from. That makes this seem all the more impactful. Exactly. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Guy drove nine hundred miles to make so, those amends and see her face to face and apologize. He, he apologizes and then tells her that he's sober, and she says that's good. And when she's he happy. calls, she calls him bad, but he, uh, that's when he stops her and says that he, he ain't no longer going by bad, but instead Otis. His real Otis, name. that's his, his birth name. name. His real name's Otis Blake. He pleads with her that he's sober, but she says her and Buddy can't be a part of his new life. He says that he still loves them very much, and she says that if that's true, then he'll leave them alone. Yep, and then she shuts the door on him, and he's got a he's got that realization that like shit, the, the best thing that's happened to me, the thing that's inspired me to start writing again and and turn my life around has essentially turned its back on me but this also gives the motivation a whole new meaning because he takes this as uh inspiration and he Uh uses it or aspiration rather and uses Uh it to finish writing the weary kind yes yes it's like i said back home and it's 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 right after these scenes where you see the inspiration hit him to get to work on this this tune and he finishes it up man he's putting it together like you know in his living room coming up with the lyrics and then, you know, ultimately he's on his porch and he gets, he's just like fucking around on the guitar and he started, he comes up with that iconic acoustic intro riff that just every time I hear it, I get goosebumps because yeah. I know what's coming from, what, what's it's coming so next. Good. It's so it's good. Such a, such a great song. So Blake finishes writing The Weary Kind and sells it to Tommy. 16, mm-hmm. months, 16 months later, Tommy plays The Weary Kind to an appreciative audience while Blake watches backstage. As Jack presents him with another large royalty check. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's it's uh, the way I took it from here is they're they're finally touring together. So Blake is now finally he's he's basically opening for Tommy. I yeah, based on a, based on a line that that's delivered from Gene. I took it as like a touring manager or a roadie. No, 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 no. There, it's I mean, it's not shown in this scene, but. Now that he's got it's very shit. ambiguous. It's not yeah, really it's, set it's, out. it's ambiguous, but there's right. a line of dialogue she delivers. Um, but it's it's what I took it as okay, the guy's been clean and sober for a year and a half now. You know, he's fulfilling his contract with RCA records or whoever it is. Um, and they've given him the shot to basically he's now touring with Tommy because the next scene is where you know he takes that check and he kind of um well, because he says after he gets the check, he says they keep getting bigger, don't they? Yep. So yeah, like you were saying, this is where Blake is leaving, and Jean and, approaches him. Yeah, she she comes and she's got a bunch of press passes, and he says, "Well, you know, Enid, the little girl from Enid, Oklahoma, no longer writing for the Morning Star, because she has a comment to him. She goes, you were you, you you were you know in vintage form today." Which means she was there for his opening set. Okay. Okay. Yeah, she, yeah she, which means he did he did just get done performing. That's why he's there. He's not just there to kind of oversee Tommy debut the new song. But it's it, this uh, what I took it as this is the first time the song's been played for an audience because it's still, you know, 
early in the afternoon because the sun's still up. It's another outdoor amphitheater. And Tommy's sitting there and he's like, you know, this was written and given to me by my mentor, a great and talented man who taught who basically made me what I am today, Mr. Bad Blake. And he starts, he starts playing that 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 strum in that intro. And I got goosebumps again. I got fucking weird. I got, I got teary-eyed. But that and carries on to this scene here because as they catch up, Blake sees an engagement ring on Jean's finger yes, and tells her yes. that she deserves a good man. Yep. He offers her the, the money from the royalty check for Buddy to have on his 18th birthday, which Gene initially refuses, but eventually accepts after Blake says the song would not exist without yes, her. It would be the song if it weren't for you. It states that it isn't the money. It isn't, it isn't money. Uh, Gene asks if Blake would like to see Buddy again, but Blake declines, saying that it might be too unsettling for the boy. Yeah, especially Instead, now he's got a new man in his life. You don't want to confuse a poor kid, yeah, which is very noble of him. Yeah, I agree. And instead, he gives her an undisclosed amount of money for Buddy's 18th birthday. Yep. The film ends with Gene asking Blake for, for another interview, which after they walk away happily, chatting with each other uh, with the Santa Fe Hilltops in the background. Mr. Blake. You were in vintage form today. Vintage, that's about right. Where do you might be here? I'm not working for the sun anymore. What's this? Oh. You can't hold back a good woman from Enid, Oklahoma. He's a good guy. Yeah, well, you deserve one. You want to see Betty? He's here. Mom, I'd love to, but I don't know if it's the best thing for him. Hey, would you give this to him on his 18th birthday for me? What is this? Oh. No, bad. I don't want this. Hey. I don't want this. No, come on now. Hey, I, I it don't... wouldn't be this song wouldn't for you. That, that's not money. Scott Cooper's Crazy Heart from 2009. God, this movie is so fucking good. Yeah. Love this film. And you know, I just I just found out recently, Mandy's admitted to me that she has... I swear to God, I thought I'd shown this to her years ago. She's never seen it. So I'm probably going to be watching it again today or, or the very next you know, next day or two. Because I want her to get, you know, 
to get a slice of this thing too, man. Everybody needs to get this film. You've never seen it before? Yeah, I was surprised too. I swear I thought I'd shown it to her. She insists oh she's never seen it. I mean, you need to change that. That's what I'm going to fix. I'll probably fix it <laughs> in a little while later on today. I don't mind watching it again. I just watched it last night. I'll do the motherfucker again. All right. Let's go to the inbox. Uh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? All right. So I posted like usual on Twitter that we're recording our crazy hard episode. And I asked what everyone's thoughts on the classic film are. And then I asked them to leave their comments below. And a couple people we did. Got? We got from the Holmes Movies podcast. It's a film our dad would have loved as he was a big fan of country western music. It's a touching and tragic film with beautiful and nuanced performances from Jeff Bridges, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Robert Duvall. Would make a great companion piece with a similar movie called Tender Mercies. Yes. Yeah. 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 Duval. I'm surprised that didn't that, that we didn't bring that up when we were talking about Duval. But Duval plays a very similar character to Bad Blake in Tender Mercies. Have you seen that film? No. Yeah. Yeah. Alcoholic country western singer. Car kind of breaks down in a motel, and you know he just kind of you know works it off at the at the motel, gets his shit together. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, that's that's a good point. Uh, who, what, what what podcast was that again? Uh, the Holmes Movie Podcast. I've seen them uh, interact with us a couple times lately. Okay, so yeah, good call on that. Good call on that one-two punch with Tender Mercies, guys. I I, I wholeheartedly agree. From your uncle Smooth. This is one of those films where, like, I think we've talked before. My mom doesn't really watch a lot of movies, but this is one of those films where I could be like, "Mom, you, just, you know." Watch this, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you'll get a kick. I would love, I, I would love, I want the opportunity to share this with my mother. I think she would love it. All right. And then we got Josh from your next favorite movie. He actually commented on this as well and said, should I actually watch it? Had never much interest in, uh, uh, had never, had never had Josh, much interest the, the in this The verdict one. is in. I even said, Drop absolutely. What you're doing in press play now, Josh. Yeah, Josh, get on that shit, man. Don't right don't now. wait. Just do it now. Do it. Yeah, do right it, do now. it. And speaking of Josh, he actually left us a review and rating on iTunes recently. Five stars. Which, Thank you so much, Josh. He wrote, which, um, if you like episode? in-depth movie reviews, this is the perfect podcast for you. Ed and Sean are a longtime friend, and the chemistry is undeniable. This is wow. a very informative but also humorous show that will never leave you bored. Check them out. He Fantastic! Thank you, man. I'm getting, little, I'm getting getting a little goosebumps. Was it on any particular episode or just the show in general? It the uh, iTunes doesn't tell me what the episode mm. was, just the date. Okay. So, but Very I know cool. he. Thank I know you, he listens to all. I know Josh listens to all the episodes as we drop them. He's uh, okay. he he keeps up with us. So, whatever episode came out on or around the 11th, which probably SLC Punk, if I had to take a guess. I think yeah, that either was that or Return of Living Dead. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that too could be one of those two for sure. Right but on, thanks, as, Josh. As always, goosebumps off of that comment. Thanks for your support, pal. For real, hats off to you. I'm having a drink right now to you, Josh. Yeah. All right, so box office receipts in the operational funds box. We will deposit two hundred and fifty thousand American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, so Crazy Heart premiered on December 6, 2009 at the Santa Fe Film Festival before uh, premiering. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm, I'm assuming they filmed on location. It really looks like they did, they did. film in they and did. around Houston and Santa Fe. 
they did. Arizona they did. Uh, before being released 10 days later, limited December 16th, 2009 from Fox Searchlight Pictures. It opened up on four screens, the usual, two in LA, two in uh, New York. Yep. Open, opening weekend was they pulled in $82,664, opening it up in 32nd place. Second weekend made much more. It had a 93.4% increase, grossing $159,850,000. I'm sorry, $159,850 at um, the number 30 position. The total gross overall, when it was said and done, was $47.4 million against a $7 million budget. Yeah, not bad, not bad for a limited release. No. Uh, not limited, but not bad for an indie film. You know, yeah, and, and you know what? The, the, you know, given the level of talent and salary that they command, that's a very, very modest budget, all things considered. Um, mm-hmm, so okay. it's obvious. I'm not saying that they all work for scale, but they did it more for the love of the story than, you know, just to get another title on their CV. You know, and that just goes, that's just a testament to how good of a film this is. I mean, fuck, a movie's midway through production. Like, we need to put this in the theater. We can't just dump this, you know, to CMT on a Saturday night, January 2010, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not like this film had much competition going. I think the the big release around this time, late 2009, was uh, Avatar. So, really? Avatar, Avatar was dominating the screens at this time damn i thought that had been out bef- for a while before this no avatar came out christmas 2009 i knew it was a christmas release but i don't know why i was thinking like maybe 2005 2008 i didn't know it was, they, oh they were gosh oh no yeah, i didn't i don't know i mean i think i've seen a film one one time i one and done for me me and andrew saw it in the theater uh because we wanted to see that you know the IMAX 3D the experience. It's yeah, more exactly. More than and and it was a one and done. The movie's boring yeah, it's as like hell. Pocahontas in space. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not. Yeah, it's that. That was yeah. a movie. So yeah, it's a money making machine now. According to Cameron, he's got what he's making turn out like five more of them, but they're twelve years apart every time. I'm not holding my breath on no, any of those films. Neither am I. That guy's a bit of a blowhard to me. I think I, I think he's he's on the downturn of his career. At this point, <laughs> sorry, you know, I like his I like his ex wife's work better than I do his. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys, let's go to the critics' corner. See what they had to say about the flick. All right, so currently Crazy Heart has a Rotten Tomato score of 90%, and that is based off of 211 critic reviews. Audience score is at a modest 76%. Jesus Christ, really? That film should be, it should should be getting four stars across the board, man. I don't know what what problems people have with this movie. So the critics consensus says thanks to a captivating performance from jeff bridges crazy heart transcends its overly familiar origins and finds new meaning in an old story yeah yeah the story's not that there's definitely been told before you know you've seen this character arc and this type of redemption before but you've never i don't think i've ever seen it played so well you know 
Um, who, 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 who did he? Do you have the Did you have the list in front of you? Who he beat out for the uh, Oscar that year? Who else would have been? Who's in the running? I can find it. Hang on a second. Yeah, if I don't take you too long, I'm just curious. That's okay. know, I can't think of anything before I, any, any before, performance around that time that would have done better to me. Before I uh, look for that, I do want to let our audience know that Ebes gave it a perfect four star rating. Sure. Or review. Sorry. Saying some actors are blessed. Jeff Bridges is one of them. Ever since his yep. breakthrough role in the last picture show in 71, he has yep. seemingly without effort created a series of characters who we simply believe. Even the alien star man, he doesn't do uh, he doesn't do this with mannerisms, but with their exclusion. His acting is as clear as running water. Look yeah. at him playing Bad Blake and Crazy Heart. The notion of a broke down, boozy country singer is an archetype of uh, is an archetype in pop culture. We've seen this story before. The difference is Bad Blake makes us believe it happened to him. Yep. Yep. I mean, obviously, Christ, I saw Jerry Reed do it in, 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 a, in a very similar type story. You know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. That's like, like you said, with Duvall and Tender Mercies, this. Um, you know, I think Duvall uh, may have won for Tender Mercies. I'm pretty sure he definitely got nominated because I remember when that came out, I was young. But I remember, like, it being talked about at the time. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure my parents probably watched it on cable. Right. All right, so Jeff Bridges, uh, he won the Academy Award for Crazy Heart, beating out George Clooney and Up in the Air. Okay. Colin Firth. It's funny because George Clooney's character in Up in the Air, his character's name is Ryan Bingham. That's right, it is. It is now that you mention it. (laughs) So he beat out also... He also beat out Colin Firth for a single man. Morgan Freeman uh, from Invictus is Nelson Mandela. And finally, he beat out Jeremy Renner in Hurt Locker. So this yeah, was also yeah, this, well this, was the, this was the year that uh, Christoph Waltz won for Glorious Bastards. Yes, yes, you're right. Okay, yep, I do remember because I watched that. I remember watching that. And like I specifically watched it because we had we had the screener. You know, and I wanted to see, I wanted to see if, you know, his name was going to get called. And sure enough, it was. And I stood up and applauded. Right. I uh, got a couple quotes here. Tom Long from Detroit News writes, it's a bit too easy, a bit too familiar, and maybe even a bit too much fun. But the easy magic Bridges brings to the screen makes it all work. And then finally, I have Toronto stars, Linda Barnard. Linda Barnard attests that, some goodwill evaporates in the final reel when a false positive, when a few false endings lead to a choice that's not the best one for Crazy Heart. But the generosity of Bridges' performance puts us in a forgiving mood. Teacher. Um, yeah, to each throne, exactly. Um, let's see here. The LA Film Critics Association gave Jeff Bridges the award for best actor. The Las Vegas Films Critics Society gave the Weary Kind the award for best song. Very, very well deserved. Talked about the Academy Awards, two of them, Jeff Bridges for best actor and the Weary Kind for best original song. So Bingham's um, got an Oscar now too, huh? 
cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also had two Golden Globe Awards, one for Bridges and also for Very Kind. Same yeah. two Academy Awards, one for yeah. Golden Globes. Yeah. And finally, Jeff Bridges also won the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Leading Role. Damn, the only thing he's missing is the Independent Spirit Award for this thing. Um, which he won also. <laughs> boom, boom. Talk about it. Award. He won, and so did Scott Cooper. Scott Cooper won uh, the, nice. the best first feature award at the Independent nice. Spirit Awards. Nice. nice. So yeah, um, well deserved. Made well its presence deserved. known. Absolutely, yeah. it made its it made its own footmark in uh, cinematic history. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. All right, the biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Um... I'll go first, I guess. I got some yeah. to go down. Yeah. All right. So the ones I have written down after watching this, number one, the music is on another level. Fuck yeah. Number two, Jeff Bridges is this generation's greatest acting achievement. I talked about uh, Maggie Joan Hall already when we brought, broke down her performance. Uh, I also put, I got two more. The visuals of Southland, USA are epically, are epically gorgeous. Ooh. And finally, Robert Duvall's performance always leaves me smiling. Yeah. He's definitely like, he's supportive of his friend, man. He, he's never critical. You know, he's, he, he tries not to enable, you know, right, right, right. habits, but he also knows their habits that, that, that bad can't really afford to break right now but he's there for his buddy and he is there for mm -hmm. his friend through the uh, through a lot of downs and obviously the ups he's he's definitely there so yeah man right. you uh it's, i mean to me it's gonna be you know yes we've we've seen this story told before um you know, seeing a similar character arc, similar redemption. But I don't think any time, no matter how much I've enjoyed those other ones, I don't think any of them have touched me to the point where this film does. Like, you know, just last night watching and taking notes, I, you know, I kept welling up anytime the songs are going, even the good songs that I'm, I'm shedding happy tears. You know what I mean? It's just something infectious about it. Um, I think my favorite you know, outside of Bridges' performance, my favorite thing from this movie is the the soundtrack. Um, I'm not a big country music guy, but, you know, I'm a guy who, you know, I Same. like what I like, mm -hmm. you know, and if I like something, I like it. I don't give a damn what genre it's in. And, you know, it, this made me appreciate that to where country music, you know, can be kind of fun. You know, Mandy, mm -hmm. I'll tell you that. She goes, her and mom go to the, what's it called? Days in the country, country. You know, the, the, what's the thing you guys go to all the time? The outdoor country festival you and your mom used to go to. Uh, summer in the country. Summer in the country. Yeah, they're they're big into this, and and that's it's what, like to me, it was always you know the typical cliche like last night a kitten dog across oh, yeah, the kitchen. Yeah. Country music. I dropped the kitten down a laundry yeah. sheet. 
tonight I'm going to beat you while you're sleeping because it's my way of saying I love you. There are so many country music fans right now who are cursing at you. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but I'm saying it's because it's the old country <laughs> western has become more. There's more of a rock edge to it and a pop edge to it that makes me appreciate it more. It right. kind of it touches it, it, it touches it, it touches more people than just the standard, you know, country western sad Hank Williams senior type stuff used to be back in the 40s and 50s and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, man. Um, like I said, I've, I, I've I've seen this I've seen this story a dozen times, told a dozen different ways about a dozen different people, but none have touched me the way that this film does, and it's one that that is always going to be on my shelf and you know in my player you know, while I'm still drawing breath. Man, can't can't spread enough love about this film. I'm actually pissed that that she's never seen this movie before, and I'm about to rectify that. <laughs> What gives you a reason to watch it again? So, boom. Everybody wins. Yeah, I was going to say, it gives you a reason to watch it again. Absolutely. I'll watch Everybody it again. Wins. We're done if I have to. So, hey, before we get to the next category, um, I, I failed to bring up, um, I mean, he was brought up, but we didn't really talk about his career, but uh, Scott Cooper, the writer and director of this film, you know, uh, he won the Independent Spirit Award because it was his first movie. It was, which just, was. It was his debut, right? Yeah, and then, he didn't really do anything for four years. He yeah. did 2013. His follow-up was Out of the Furnace, which I don't think you liked that movie. It's, it's not that I didn't like it. Um, it was... It's a really I, dark film. I liked dark, it, but it's, it's, it's slow. It's a slow burn, and even the end, it's, it's like I... I, I, I got to give it another run, because I've only seen it the one time. I enjoyed it. You know, Christian Bale, you know, Woody Harrelson, um, Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck, and Duvall in that too. Duvall's in that too, right? Willem Dafoe is. That was maybe it's Dafoe that I'm thinking of. Um, because yeah. Mandy and I sat and watched that. Um, when it first hit, I think you know, whatever you know, premium movie service we had with Fios at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I liked it, but it just uh, like uh, I don't know, it, it's it, it is it's a dark film, but it's also very. I don't want to say by slow. I don't mean boring, but it's it, a slow burn. They're not wrong about slow, that. Yeah, it's a slow burn, and even the end, like the the end worked, but it wasn't as like climactic and as you know. And it's a as, cliche ending. I'll it give it is, the movie that, but I, I still liked it. What it was. Yeah, I've I've only seen it the one time, so it's not that I didn't like it. Okay. I, I, it wasn't what I expected out of it, so maybe I came away with a slight bad taste in my mouth out of spite. That that makes sense. Then you've seen it once. I've seen it a handful of times. But so. it's but again, it's been. I'm probably almost you know ten years removed from that movie, so it's it, it's it, it's worth another day in court to me. So I'll give it another look. And then he followed that up with Black Mass and Hostels. And then See, he's I've, got, I've never seen Hostels, but Black Mass. I did do Black Mass. I, I, I didn't mind Black Mass. I like Kinda Black got Mass. Shit on, but it was a, it I was like a, it. I you like know me, lot. man. I'm a suck. I, I like to see Rory Cochran get work, man. The fact that that yeah, guy had good, right. a, a good chunk of screen time, I was happy. He does get work. Plus, it's a Kevin Bacon movie, so and that's another you know list of ways to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon because another all-star cast featuring Bacon himself. So that helps. Yeah. 
Thanks for your contribution. And finally, he's got that movie Antlers coming out later on this year that I'm very curious to see. I've been curious for the last year and a half or however long it's been that it was supposed to come out before COVID I've, happened. I've heard of it, but I don't know much of it, like what it's about or anything. It's supposed to be really crazy. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it already had its festival screenings. I mean, no, but you know, I, I don't know <laughs> what it's about. To be I'm honest. thinking some like, I'm saying like, yeah, I know. Rampage. I don't know. It's just where we were and where we are. You know, he starts his career with Crazy Heart, and now he's doing, you know, these indie horror films called Antlers. But yeah. and I'm not not believe me. I know that came out like I was kind of insulting him or making fun of you know his career trajectory but no it's just i i find it to be i don't know kind of ballsy i guess <laughs> either that or just he ain't got nothing else to do but horror because that's kind of like where a lot of people see it as you know bottom barrel for some filmmakers <laughs> i on the other hand we don't know man he might raise a bar he might bring something new to the genre that we ain't seen before give it a shot in the arm that, that it ain't had in 10 years so you know time will tell i mean I, I i've seen three of his movies and you know definitely loved one liked another and i'm on the fence about you know uh, out of the furnace but you know i haven't made up my, my mind yet because again it's it's i need to give it another look before i make a final decision if you had to do it all over again would you make the same choices? So, yeah, I, I just feel like we just, I, it's kind of just, it's, it's, you think it's going to become something, but then it really just doesn't. It just, it's, it's kind of an afterthought. And then the movie ends and it's like, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, the topic's kind of dropped when he hangs up the phone and it's never touched upon again. Um, yeah, say, outside well, of the conversation saying. with Wayne, other right. than that. And, right. and then it, it's dropped completely and i don't know i just felt like i said i mentioned that scene that they filmed that they cut i kind of wish that it was thrown in there so we actually did see that i don't know i just thought that maybe they were going to go back to it but they never did and maybe that was a missed opportunity yeah. so that's just uh, that's that's what i came up with so right. other than that this movie's fucking perfect um yeah i, I wouldn't change a thing about it I would just add to it, not take away from. So right, right. Just to let that be known first. All right. So, you? Uh, for me, I would say I didn't. I'm really giving it much thought because I always felt like you know everything worked for me in this. But but now that we're on the topic, I'm going to say I think I could have used. Uh, we we could have seen a little bit more of um, his days at the rehab facility because he just kind of goes from drunk to sober in a matter of minutes. Not yeah, that is brushed up. That that is you know, just brushed not, on. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of rushed. Obviously, it's implied that he's been there for probably a month or two, but you really only see him at the one meeting. He introduces himself, and then he's you know getting coffee. And the guy's like, "I hear you're an entertainer. Congratulations. This is the hardest step to make." And then boom, it just cuts to him. You know, it's like day one, day thirty. I kind of like to would have spent like I don't need to see like a full feature like Sandra Bullock's Twenty Eight Days Later and him interacting with all the other patients, but, <laughs> right? You know, uh, another scene or two of him like actually coming to grips with his addiction, you know, his regrets and mistakes to see him kind of sharing that in that setting. I mean, only you know five more minutes, 
I think, could have fleshed it out a little more. Not that it wasn't believable the way that it was portrayed, but it's really only a few minutes of screen time, not even five minutes, maybe two scenes. You know, he's in there and then he's getting out. You know, show me a little bit of the in-between. Not to say that it's not believable, but flesh it a little more to make it more believable for others. You know what I mean? Uh, I do, yeah. So that that's, that's, what I would, that's what I would say. All right. Finger looking good. It's finger looking good. Um, for me, it's the moss scene. Now, hear me out because it's the humbling turnaround, kick in the ass moment that Blake needed in order to shift things and become the man that he is at the uh, conclusion of the story. Yeah, it's like his, you know, he, he his. It's almost like he's kind of wiping the sleep out of his eyes and he sees his life chasing him down. His mistakes are, are, are the, his, again, his demon. It's catching up to him because mm-hmm. he's fucked up a lot when he's drunk, but he ain't never fucked up this bad and lost a kid, you know? So, yeah, that's a very, very, very powerful uh, moment because you see that, you know, you see the tragic, the, the tragedy and the panic on his face throughout the whole scene of him rushing around this mall you know, looking for Buddy. You know, I'll, I'll give you that. So that's definitely, that's definitely in the top. Um, for me, it's, I'm going to say anytime he's performing, except for when he's sweating and puking, you know, just like he, I, I would go see Jeff Bridges' concert play the Crazy Heart soundtrack with Ryan oh, Bader and on stage. I'd buy front row down. tickets. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, man. I would get us some fucking tickets and go out to Meriwether for that joint right there, man. Or even Wolf Trap would be a great place to see him around here. We'd have a bottle of wine, sit at the picnic table, watch that shit. So yeah, any anything involving, you know, those original songs, just these like I'm I'm constantly I'm tapping. Like Mandy's gonna get pissed at me later on when we watch this because I'm gonna be singing along right with him. You know, I just I I can't say enough about these what four or five original songs. That, that made the cut that Bingham wrote that like if you didn't know any better they just came on the radio you would think it's some new cool ass country music you'd be seeking that CD out well the weary kind was a top 40 hit well right but based off it but if, if somebody didn't know they would hear the weary kind and be like shit man it's a good song and then with any luck it drives them to go pick up a copy of Crazy Heart and give it a you know pop it in a Blu-ray player and it did just that because if I'm not mistaken, that was, I mean, the Weary Kind was a pretty big hit back in 09 when it came out. I remember it, you know, in that 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 winter season and when it hit top 40 radio and it was kind yeah, of was played like, when, like when, I was working at Hartford Mall at that time at the, at the Verizon kiosk. And I remember hearing it there while I was, you know, working my shifts yeah, and you're, stuff. You're, yeah, you're right. Because because we work with the same company at the time. And I, I would hear it kind of come piping through the uh, mm-hmm. through the speakers there when we had that Verizon store. Um uh, I, I guess it would. It, it kind of it goes along the same lines of when Lady Gaga released "Shallow" for "Star Is Born." Like it just caught on like that and helped, you know, propel more people into the theater for the film. I still hear that song on the radio today. It, it does still play today, and that's that would be another good one to throw in with this. More for Bradley Cooper's role than anything like Christ. We didn't even talk about him as far as, you know, film drunks, but uh, yeah, Jackson, you know, uh, Jackson Maine is a great film drunk in that film. You know, it's a big ups on Bradley Cooper for his directorial debut on a film mm-hmm. that's been made five times already. Arguably his is my favorite version. Um, so yeah, that's for me, it's, it's just the soundtrack. Those songs all work, you know, 
I'm sure they sold the record and they sold the movie to those who didn't already know about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I've always looked at the music in this movie. Uh, I've always saw the music of this film as a character, you know, mm-hmm. the, sound, the soundtrack yeah. is kind of a character of the movie in, in its own right. It's the positive output of bad Blake. You yeah. know, we see a lot, we see a lot of negatives in bad, but when you hear what he can accomplish when he's firing on all cylinders, the man is fucking talented. Like she mm-hmm. says, when he's, he's laying on the bed, he's strumming out. And she's like, remember, the, he said something about like, remember the first time you heard that song? She's like, I can't put my finger on it. He goes, that's the best part about great ones. You think you heard them before. And she's like, you know, people live their whole lives wanting to be able to have that kind of talent. You just sit here and it just pours right out of you while you're laying here. You're laid up with a, with a broken foot and a glass of whiskey and you write beautiful music. You know, Powerful scene. Yeah. Very. Yeah. 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 Very good. Very. <laughs> Which brings us to the final category. Final thoughts. Um, now that you kick this one off, what are your final um, thoughts? All, all wrapped up in a big package with a big, big bow on top. I just can't say enough about how I love this film. I mean, it's, it's got its ups, its downs. It takes you on a journey with a character that, for lack of a better term, is kind of a despicable dude for a good while, you know. But, uh, like, the, I, I move the tears every time. And this is a film that, that even non-film fans can get something out of and appreciate. Whether you're a Jeff Bridges fan, a country music fan, you know, this film is just, it's, it's good quality American cinema. And it's just such, you know, and anybody who hasn't seen it needs to rectify that the second they turn us off. They need to do, or better yet. Looking at you, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at you, man. So hopefully we didn't spoil too much for you. But even so, even after you've listened to this, you give this film a run, you're going to see what we're talking about. So, yeah, this film is just, it is. It's it's good, wholesome. I don't want to say feel good, but it gets you in the feels. You know, it makes you happy and it makes you sad, it makes you a little bit angry. And that's when a film works for me. You know, yeah. when I can go through when I can go through a run of emotions with a bunch of fake people on my TV for a couple of hours. You know. Um all right, so this real quick for me, real brief. This movie is what I consider a pulse checker. <laughs> you check your pulse, make sure you're alive and still breathing, because if you do not like this movie or if you find more flaws than you know positive things then we're gonna Dave, we're gonna you, we're gonna have some words with you are are you even alive you better just check that pulse you because you're not living you're not living and if you are living you're not living correctly mm-hmm. because this is a movie that it, it no matter you could be a fan of just strictly genre films strictly comedies you know you could be an action guy or a meathead, or it doesn't matter, you know. It'll this, you'll find you're gonna find something. You're gonna take away more than one positive thing out of one. You, you're, there's you're gonna find something you like it. Whether it's, it's something music, for everyone, you know. You know, it's it's, it's, it's it's not a movie loaded with you know, sex, drugs, and rock and no, roll. I mean, there's, yeah, there's plenty just, of some of that, but not you know, it's it's not a vulgar or filthy no, movie. No, it's, no, it's, it's very it's, tasteful. Yes. Um it's got so much heart. It it, does. It's got it's got a crazy amount of heart. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a crazy amount of heart. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, this is just what I consider a, a pause checker. Because if you ain't liking this movie, if you ain't digging it, and if you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> then uh, you need to check that pause because you might not be alive. So I'll agree with um, you. There. So yeah, that's that just that think that closes the chapter on this film for us. Mm-hmm. But I want to let everyone know that this episode is dedicated. No, I'm sorry, this episode is sponsored by McClure's Melodies, the best of bad Blake, a <laughs> collection of 15 best of songs from the Grammy Award-winning legend. Featuring such hits as the Top 40 hit, The Weary Kind, as well as Hold On You, Fawn and Flying, Somebody Else, and I Don't Know for Beverly. Kick back with a glass of the wildest whiskey this side of Texas. One of those warm summer nights and enjoy the soothing sounds of Bad Blake. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval, and that'll bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. Yeah. If you want to hear more film effect, then check out our website at PodPage, where you'll find our ever-going collection of previous episodes. Again, that's PodPage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast. And of course, we'll be back next week to talk. Actually, we'll be back later on this week to talk all about 1985 Richard Donner classic, The Goonies, and memory of the guy. I'll get my brother Andrew back on the show. That'd be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to doing that. Me, you, and Andrew yeah. talking about the Goonies for a couple hours. Yes, sir. And then next week on the main feed, we'll be back Monday. Same film effect place, same film effect time, talking all about the town. We're doing it. We're doing it. With the We're right doing. ending. We're doing the good ending. We're doing it. See, you're obsessed with endings. We're doing the town as a whole. We're doing know, the town, Ben Affleck. Because you, you and I prefer two different endings to the film. And, and, and we will touch on that next week. And we will. people are we'll like, what the detail. fuck are they talking about? We will tell you all about the rivalry for the last decade about this goddamn ending. <laughs> hey, no tangerine, Florida, Ed. How's your leg? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll see you again this side of the other. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. So, uh, before we get out of here, letting you guys know that uh, uh, I did that already. I did that. I did that. I did that. Yep. So, uh, yeah, five-star ratings and reviews helps with getting the show put out there. More people can uh, tune in. Uh, there's a thing called an algorithm. It helps that. So, yeah, that's all I got to say. Sean, take us out of here. All right, guys, so until next time, we'll see you all again when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. I've been Ed. That's been Sean. It's been fun, but now it's done. Check you later. All right, guys, till next time. See ya.